Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 279th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's decided to award $50,000 to this week's listener pick. MTG Fast Finance is the weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, Travis Allen, at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle the Bagel, Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on an awesome Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Yeah, you can do all that. It is true. It's crazy. It's amazing. Uh, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support our podcast. Cliff, tell us what the lucky listeners have won this week. Well, our lucky listeners have won, first of all, a review of the Magic Online metagame. Uh, Even if your store has started doing events, we're still really relying on Magic Online until we can get to some large-scale paper tournaments. Then we're going to talk about our top paper movers, some interesting stuff in there as people adjust to what they hope the metagame will be. Then you and I have uh, cards to watch in segment three, Uh, some good stuff there, plus our $50,000 $50,000 lucky listener pick. Oh, it needs to be sponsored by somebody, doesn't it? Yeah, it needs to be sponsored by a couple people, I think. I think so. And then uh, finally, we're going to go over the uh, second half of the Adventures in Forgotten Realms spoilers. Uh, they've revealed the whole set, and we get to talk about what's going to be uh, amazing in there. <laughs> going to be a short conversation if that's all we talk about. Uh, well, you know. <laughs> so... At the top here, our MTGO metagame we can review. Uh, overall theme here, is it monkeys? I mean, just everywhere in everything. Are, are we going to get a copyright infringement if we start, like, humming Brass Monkey? Or <laughs> I, you know, I know you can say that, like, it's possibly a joke, but it's not really a joke. Okay. Like, we, I'll, we I'll could get DCMA for it. I'll, I'll be good. I'll be good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, is, is it monkey? So th- this is one version of it and they all look relatively similar. We've got just a touch of brazen borrower, but the core of it is dragon's rage channeler, Murktide regent and ragavan with some dreadhorde arcana sprinkled in. And then a pile of instants and sorceries, some expressive iteration and serum visions, bolts, thought scours, unholy heat has become popular pretty quick. Um, and some mishra's baubles to help fuel that delirium. And then just, you know, a standard suite of blue-red lands here, uh, just all over the place. Second, third, fifth, and sixth in uh, this particular preliminary. And uh, had a slot over in the uh, one of the challenges we looked at as well. So big, big weekend here for Ragavan. I like how uh, in the show notes you called this uh, seventh place deck Jund Key. Because it's just... Um... 
And this, amazingly, I thought when I first looked at it that this was going to be a Luris of the Dream Den deck, but... Uh, oh, wait, it is. I'm sorry. I didn't scroll all the way down to the sideboard. <laughs> but you got uh, Raghavan next to Croxa and Dothi Voidwalker alongside uh, Inquisition and Thoughtseize. Unearth looks like it's doing so much work in this deck, but they only went with one copy. It's just goodness all around. Unholy Heat, I'm I'm really surprised by. Like, how much... Is that an expensive card in foil as yet? Uh, it's funny because I believe that I trimmed it off of the um, movers this week. But uh, what did I say? Unholy Heat, right? Yeah. There's only 29 vendors with foils. And that's uh, not even just counting the near mint foils. But they're starting. there's one person who's got one for 75 cents. And then it ramps real quick to three bucks and up. Yeah, it looks like it, it tripled roughly on the foils um, from one to three. So, I mean, not like, again, not the type of thing we would typically talk about, but I guess an interesting data point to show that the, these decks really took this card up and the foils bumped a bit. So at least worth digging out of your bulk, I suppose. Also, like, remember, you get um, a fair amount of foil commons and uncommons in your collector boosters. Like, those things are just a little more jammed with value than you thought. Yeah, yeah, anything like that. Um, those sort of incidental uncommons and commons that carry a little bit of value add some some nice some nice bonuses to those CBs. I you know I would never advise people to to buy product based on that value. I think that's going to mostly be a rounding error, um, and not counting it. When you're trying to decide if it's worth it, it gives you a nice little margin of error to add on, but it doesn't hurt, that's for sure. And that stuff used to, you know, used to be great at throwing in your binder for trading. Yeah, that too. Um, any other? Do you want to talk about the uh, the Bring to Light deck or the Five Color Elementals deck that also rounded out our top eight? Yeah, they're there. They play magic cards. <laughs> um, well, first, first was Living End, uh, which is, is worth. Just drawing attention to, um, just so people know, we're seeing the Shardless Agents come back, where if they had dis- they had disappeared for a brief period of time, you've got those Street Wraiths in there, which are going to pop up in Segment 2. Um, other than that, nothing terribly wild out of that list, which is something we've talked about a couple times here. Uh, the Five Color Elementals has shown up in both lists, which I thought was um, reasonably impressive, just I guess it's more than a flash in the pan, which is more credit than I would have given it for two weeks ago. Yeah, the the decks do look very similar. Um, I'm not seeing anything jumping out at me as different between them. Um, just they, they want to play uh, Big Omnath and uh, start just churning out the value and making your life miserable when you try to do anything about it yeah they're, they got the four solitudes and the four furies are you know so four of the new incarnations um are some of the big boys in here the run and six is doing a lot of work unsurprisingly the mana base is actually relatively restrained um no tribal lands here other than the cavern of souls which is i thought a little surprising um what yeah, land were you hoping to see? Well, you know, every tribe has their... Most tribes have a land associated with them. Elementals had... Um, oh, something. Primal primal Hollow, I want to say. I, I, that's a good guess. 
Primal. That sounds right. Okay, now I have to look this up. Primal Beyond. I was pretty close. From Morning Tide, it was. Uh, it, you have to reveal an elemental when it comes into play. It adds one colorless or any color for elementals or activated abilities of elementals. So this is just a five color land in that deck. And I don't know why they're not running it. What always surprises me in these lists is, uh, wait, is Reflecting Pool modern legal? Yeah. I'm always amazed to not see Reflecting Pool alongside stuff like Cavern of Souls and your choices on um, Shocklands. Like, it just seems so easy, but just it, people are horrified of the concept of, like, what if I have a two Reflecting Pool opening hand? Well, yeah, like, I kind of get not playing Reflecting Pool with this build because, I mean, in this particular list that I'm looking at right now, he has all two color lands. So a reflecting pool is not going to give you access to anything that you're missing. And for the most part, if you're playing when you're playing this deck, all the mana costs, aside from solitude and fury, every pip is different. Red and six is green, red. Um, Omnath is four color. Risen Reef is two different colors. Unsettled and Voice, both two different colors. So like a reflecting pool doesn't help you find a color you're missing. Um, however, Primal Beyond makes all the colors for every single one of these cards. The only, there's only seven (laughs) cards in this list that Primal Beyond doesn't cast for is Ren and Six and Ephemery. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, maybe not four of them, but like you'd think you'd play a couple. And then if you had Primal Beyond and Cavern of Souls, maybe now you're talking about playing, uh, Reflecting pool. Reflecting pool. Of course, at that point, maybe at that you're getting to the point where you don't actually don't have enough sources to reliably cast Ephemery and uh red and six i don't know i'm not the one who built the mana base just a little surprising <laughs> it's true i'll uh i'll give you that yeah keep that in mind keep that in mind when you go build this deck for yourself uh hopping over to the other challenge from the fifth one of many challenges from the fifth i believe as long as this wizard's d- data reporting is correct there's like a million lists from the last two days uh first place is hammer time so this is the pure still paladin deck with stoneforge mystic some equipment aids in Steel Shaper's Gift and Cigar's Aid. And then, uh, of course, four of the Colossus Hammer, the Mjolnir in all but name only, only thing going on over here. Did Are you trying to say Mjolnir? Mjolnir? That yeah, was that's very Thor, close. That's Thor's Hammer, buddy. Yeah, that's what I meant. That's, I, I get that's what you meant. And also, good job us avoiding yet another DCMA strike. He doesn't have a theme song that I'm not singing. Uh, If any deck has a theme song, it's this one. Oh, I see what you're saying. I was thinking about Thor. Uh, That's fair. That's fair. Um, But this doesn't look like it has anything new here. Uh, Nothing jumping out at me as being particularly remarkable. Um, Then second place is the Zavaz list, which has been doing some solid work. Uh, over and over again um a a real return to form for affinity in a way we haven't seen quite some time they've got the four hardened skills in there which has definitely seen a price increase uh lately and three ozoliths which we had talked about a long time ago and and now we're getting some some leg work out here i love this singleton throne of geth like you're sacking an artifact proliferate so you get the modular trigger uh, on top of the proliferate trigger 
So you're going to get like two counters on one thing plus an extra counter on everything else. Um, bonus points for having uh, the stones to run Lanawar Reborn to get your graft on. Because you just want to get all, all of those modular triggers in there. Yeah, the graft is, is funny. I mean, Throne of Geth looks like sick in this list. I mean, sacrifice one of these other dumb artifacts you don't care about. And I mean, proliferate in a deck with hardened scales is something potent. Chef's kiss. Yeah, that's good. And uh, love to see Arcbound Ravagers come back. Make my inventions valuable again. <laughs> uh, third place is that Is It Monkey deck again. Uh, basically the same thing as the other one. Fourth place is just a Grixis monkey. So this adds Death Shadow, um, which, so, you know, kind of merging two different strategies there, you know, and it's got the Scourge of the Skyclave. So I guess this is more, it's, this is less that they took Death Shadow and pushed it into the monkey builds and more that they just took Ragavan and put them in the new Death Shadow lists. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird. It's a, a fun looking mix of, uh, control and uh, aggressive elements because all all your stuff is one mana except for scourge which is two and now you just like go to town you've got four drown in the lock because all you're going to care about is like countering a one or two drop and mm -hmm. you just got to get there four bolt two team or battle rage plus like death shadow or scourge of the skyclaves that just seems unfair <laughs> i like it i like it a lot I, when i say unfair that's admiration you hear in my voice. Yeah, in the best in the best possible way. Yeah, I I just wish they found room for the Dothy Voidwalker in here. If you're gonna run the Inquisitions and the Thought Seizes, like you, just adding that extra value in there is so good. But it it doesn't play with Drown in the Lock at all. It's also three times as expensive as basically all these other creatures. Two times, but yes. Isn't oh, is it Dothy Voidwalker two? I thought it was three. I thought it was double black. Uh, let's go to the tape. Double black, you're right. Boom. You're right. Uh, humans with uh, three Imperial recruiters, so imp integrating that new component pretty quickly. Uh, other than that, relatively straightforward. They've got the Ancient Ziggurat. They have their you know, sort of creature-based land in here. Um, I thought there, maybe there's not a human's tribal land specifically. There isn't, but if you're on uh, Ancient Ziggurat and Unclaimed Territory and Cavern of Souls, you're good to go. Like, the only thing you can't do is cast Aether Vial off Ancient Ziggurat, because you're at 37 creatures in this deck. Yep. I wonder if anyone has altered the Spice Girls onto Ancient Ziggurat. <laughs> that's <laughs> uh, strike three for us but keep going let's keep going i know that was a clever idea i like that idea uh, i do want to note that uh these uh humans lists aren't playing the glass pool mimic which you start which you saw in some of them uh before they've basically all gone to the imperial recruiter they don't need to copy a, a they don't want to copy a creature as much they already had the four phantasmal image that's good enough yeah, I mean, really, you could just cast Imperial Recruiter, which is a fine enough... You know, it's a 3 mana 1-1, one, one, which is exciting, but with all these other humans, there's going to be a little bit of extra weight. But more importantly, you get to get the best human in your deck at the moment. So you're probably going to get Thalia's Lieutenant to yes. Anthem your team, or Thalia, or maybe Reflector Mage. Like, being able to 
pinpoint one of those seems very good. Yep. Uh, let's see. After that, we had a uh, some kind of blue-white controly uh, blinky-looking deck. Um, just a whole lot of like value and uh, four ephemerate in this blue-white list. Elite Spellbinder, Flicker Wisp, Lavinia, which has a, a real like. There's a lot of things that that Lavinia is going to mess up, right? Yeah, she's pretty amusing. Uh, no one can cast non-creature spells with converted mana cost. Sorry, mana value greater than the number of lands that player controls. So, uh, boy, what does that mess up? Hmm. Either uh, no, it doesn't count either vial. No, I'd have to go back. Does that what is it? Does that mess up anything in our lists right now? Living end, no. The monkey, no. Bring to light, I don't think so. No, they have enough land to cast to bring. Yeah, five out. clear elementals. Hammer time, it wouldn't matter. I don't think, because you cheat stuff in, but that sidestep. So I genuinely don't know if that does anything. Uh, but the the other half of it is at least I don't know if it does anything in the current meta. But the other half of her is when an opponent casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast it, you can counter it. So that's actually good against uh, all the incarnations, right? Because like Fury and Solitude and those guys are free. And if it you don't shuts pay off the, the, uh, the, the cascade into no mana cost. Right. Yep, it gets both of those. So she's actually got, that's gotten pretty relevant at the moment. Um, should Lavinia, where did she go? Uh, Lavinia Azorius Renegade was reprinted as a old border here. Right. I wonder what those go for. She has a promo, the game day promo, like two bucks. I like the game day promo a lot more, but I'm fond of the, the, like, frame as window kind of thing yeah the the old border foil is 25 it's a little i wish that was a little cheaper and i see uh one foil sale in the last couple days at 26 well there's a yeah. 148 of that game day promo around yeah that's gonna take a long time to drain out agreed agreed yeah i think there's you're not gonna see enough um it's cool and all. I'm a fan because they'll try to do it, and you're like, nah, uh, uh. But uh, it, from a financial perspective, I don't think it's gonna get there for a while. If you want to buy a brick for, you know, a uh, dollar fifty each, you you get down with your bad self. But I, it's just gonna take so many people uh, buying through these other copies for you to get there. That there's other places to put your money. The challenge here is that, yeah, I, I agree. There's just not gonna be enough um velocity on the game day promos to eat through that supply because there's you know this deck is running too it's the only deck we really see running it we might see more of them if she gets really good but it's not that many if i was going to do anything it would be to go after these old border or the old border foils the reprints because over there you're down you know there's only 34 listings which is actually still a little high um, I think that's on the higher end of the Time Spiral Remastered Foils, but at least the supply is so much lower there. I'm with you on that. Uh, the 7th place deck has an interaction that is near and dear to my heart in the uh, Thunderkin Awakener Lightning Skelemental combo. 
Oh um, yeah. yeah. That that makes me so happy like but this is a crazy deck. You're running Omnath Locus of Creation who is every color but black alongside a four of Lightning Skelemental who's light who's black red red. So you're you're all five colors and you're doing uh, this one does have your Primal Beyond in there. Was Primal Beyond expensive when you looked it up? No, I don't think so. It might have been eight bucks or something like that. That was Lorwyn? About Morning Tide. Yeah, about ten dollars, I think. Ten and forty, according to uh, let's see. So oh, that's not what I wanted to click. Only thirteen foils. Foil, yeah, there's one one near mint foil and it's fifty dollars. The non foils are ten bucks. That is worth thinking about. There's only 19 near mints, but a lot of those are in other languages too. If, yeah. If the Elementals deck does take off, this one's at, uh, it does have Cavern of Souls, Primal Beyond, and Reflecting Pool. So they're they're all in for that, but you would be with something like this. You're mm, four yeah. Fury, four Grief, and four Solitude. You are heavy on the instant speed when you need it. The, the, uh, specifically, the only uh, non-creature card in this deck is Ephemerate in the main deck. I love creature-based decks so much. Do you? It's a Kahira deck, too. Well, that's just uh, a freebie. Uh, well, each creature card in your starting deck is a... Oh, yeah, Elemental is one of them, yeah. So you get a free Kahira. Boy, uh, Companions were a really goddamn stupid design. <laughs> Um, eighth place is a, I, I wrote, wait, I had something clever for this. This works better in text than, uh, audio, but I named it junk, junk, because it's basically a John build, but it's green, black. Uh, they used to call this the rock. Yes. Actually, now that I think about it, technically this does have white. Uh, it's got two lingering souls and three prismatic ending and three vindicate. Um, but that's pretty much it a little bit of kaya um there's more white in the sideboard with kataki uh and some kaya skyle uh kaya the planeswalker or zobber serper but it's very green black heavy some gris some liliana the veil there's your dothy voidwalkers four of those ignoble hierarchs um your goifs and then a bunch of removal and disruption i mean this is a, a lot of fun it looks like uh, i especially love the uh, the Torok in here, um, you know, two mana pro white, and when somebody discards a card, put a counter on it. Like, let's go, buddy. You're gonna get your counters uh, come hell or high water with uh, Inquisitions and Thought Seizes running around. I mean, yeah, playing Torok on turn two into a turn three Liliana the Veil plus one. Is that whenever a player or whenever an opponent curses? Okay. Opponent. Even still, probably not gonna be the worst. Yep, and pro white seems pretty relevant in a lot of these lists. There's a whole lot of um, what's the white one? Uh, uh, Prismatic ending. Oh, no, that too. Yeah, a whole lot of solitude running around. So these are some fun decks. I I mean, Vagavan's a little too all over the place for my taste, but um, we'll we'll see the metagame adapt to that with something neat like. Um, I don't know. The the legendary creature where all other creatures get minus one, minus one is four mana, so that doesn't really count. Sorry, I was yawning there. I cannot stop yawning tonight. 
Um, yeah, between yeah, you are. It's your fault. You're so damn boring. <laughs> it's be between solitude and prismatic ending, right? You have a lot of white removal in the format, so that pro white is significant. I mean, they're also only running the one, so it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. They have Timeless Dragon in here, too. Eternalize 4. Does anyone remember what Eternalize does? It brings it back as a 4-4 zombie with haste. Yeah. I believe you. I believe you. I'll take your word for it. The rule of sex are not on this card. It's got the the little great uh, tombstone icon next to the name of the card, too, that pioneered back in, what was that, Prophecy or something like that? Or How fun. How fun. Uh, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. It does not have haste. I'm thinking of something else. Hey, something else. I think you are right with the coming back as a 4-4, four, four, though. Yeah, it's a 4-4 four, four black zombie dragon, which makes it real easy because you cycled it away to go find the third land, so you just needed one other. Yep. Uh, and then ninth place, the sneak sneaks in here. They have uh, basically another equipment, Stoneforge Mystic deck. It's got the Esper Sentinels. James is such a fan of more hammer, so just a different version of hammer time, basically. Yep, playing the Sentinel and the Giver of Runes, which seems really well positioned as well. Thank goodness that's not a human. Yeah, I really want to like the old border foils of Giver of Runes because they were just, you know, they're the collector booster exclusives. Right. Um, we, talk, we talked about this last week. They're like eight bucks, and it's just so surprising that they're that cheap. Um, okay, so... Moving on, Moving segment on. two, our top paper movers. Uh, first card of the week, Kataki out of Saviors of Kamigawa. I believe we talked about Kataki last week. Um, the Saviors of Kamigawa copies are showing 10 to 20, but Kataki's become a modern sideboard card very quickly here with the return of Artifact Lands. Uh, that tax has become a lot more potent than it used to be. Yep, still only the two choices between Modern Masters and Saviors, and neither one's really like huge amount of printing by modern standards so remember that first modern masters was eight years ago that's very true um do recall though that uh it was in the modern event deck in 2014 yeah so had its own set symbol so there's that's like kind of counts as another printing sure it's, it's a different set symbol i'm not gonna judge if that's another printing that's another printing legal legal printing uh, after, I mean, cause we talked about Kataki going, uh, last week from like two to eight and now it's gone from 10 to 20 basically. Um, well, 20 seems optimistic. I'm looking right now at, uh, a few near mint ones from modern masters at 11 or 12, but that ramps up real quickly to 15, 17. And there's not a lot of near mint copies left at all. No, no, this is this will probably settle around 15 to 20, I suspect, just based on sudden demand for a card that hasn't seen a printing. And God, the original Modern Masters was 2013, right? Nine years, uh, eight years ago. Wow. Does not feel like it. Uh, Mitotic Slime. Um, this, this is showing up as a plane chase copy, but I don't think it particularly matters. Uh, my Tyrant Slime is popular in Chatterfang. So this is the five mana creature that when it, it's a five mana four, four, when it dies, it turns into two, two, twos. And then when each of those two, two tokens die, they turn into the one, one tokens. And with Chatterfang loving its tokens, uh, it seems like a natural fit. Yep. 
Uh, you've got uh, M11 and then the Plane Chase and the Plane Chase Anthology. And the uh, super sweet, doesn't even have lines on the frame, uh, game day version. There's only 10 uh, near mint copies of that on TCG right now. That's my personal favorite, if you're going to go for a copy for your Chatterfang deck. But you do you. Ron Spencer does great art. And uh, this is a just a fun card to make sure you have the right tokens for. Is Ron Spencer the one that I can't stand? I don't know, Travis. Is that the one you can't stand? Oh, it Are is. there a lot of artists you can't stand on? It's, it is Ron Spencer. I thought so. <laughs> uh, I hate his art. It's so bad. Uh, Street Wraith foils out of Time Spiral Remastered 40 to 80. Um, and these are not even old border copies. These are just a uncommon reprint. From Time Spiral Remastered. Uh, Wait, what? I, you're right. Holy biscuits. I, I could have sworn when I looked at this in the sheet, I'm like, okay, somebody targeted old border foils, but that's not what we're looking at. Yeah, and I mean, the market price on this is wild, too. Um, I mean, like, I'm looking through near mint copies are selling 3 to $4. Uh market price on foils is 350 yet the cheapest copy is 75 so you don't have to pay 75 dollars to get foils of this uh i'm pretty sure if this was a 70 dollar foil people would just start cracking time spiral remastered boxes however it's not a 350 card anymore it might be 15 just the the return of living in pretty suddenly here you can get near mint foils from Modern Masters for uh, you know under five dollars right now, and there's uh, there's only fifty six copies. There must be somebody who's got a whole lot of them. Oh yeah, we did mention that, didn't we? Yeah, because we talked about that last week with this. This was in second place. This supposedly went from four to forty, and we went and talked about it. The problem is for um, the the Times file remastered. We didn't. We don't have a lot of uh, data points, and one of them is uh, somebody who's making a funny by listing their card for $1,500. I mean, more power to them. You know what? As we're talking about this, because, yeah, we went and looked, and, like, there's the M25. No, stop. TCG player, stop having different elements of your site load at different speeds and causing my screen to jump around. Uh, yeah, you know what it is? This is all coming back to me. Like the modern masters foils and the M25 foils are really reasonably priced. So ignore this time spiral. You know what? I think, I think we talked about this last week and I said, oh, I should have taken this off the list. This wasn't real. And then I put the damn thing on the list again this week. That's okay, Travis. I still love you. It's been a, been a long couple of days, guys. <laughs> a long couple of days. Chancellor of the Forge uh, foils out of New Phyrexia, um, like six and change to 15 uh, for roughly a double up. This is in that Glimpse of Tomorrow deck that's in Modern, um, where you basically try and put extra permanence on the battlefield before cascading into Glimpse of Tomorrow, which is a one-sided warp world. But, uh, you know, MTG Top 8 is showing the last deck that played Chancellor of the Forge on June 29th. Um, so a week ago in moto time is a very long time indeed. Yeah, but it's a, it's a cool deck and I'm not going to judge anybody who wants to build this deck and 
shuffling. This seems like a real pain in the butt to play in person, going from what I've, I've seen of people playing it online. Just a whole lot of shuffling and counting, and then a whole lot of flipping over, and then a whole lot more shuffling and counting. Like, thank you for making that part easy, at least, Magic Online. Yeah, uh, and I'm using deck in concept, but like if you were to sit down and play it in paper, it's actually kind of obnoxious. Yeah. This next one is odd. And I left it on here so we could talk about it. Soul Guide Lantern, uh, the foils from Theros Beyond Death. So I guess we're going to get a mini diversion here. Wizards announced in the last couple days that they are um, basically suspending pi- suspending Pioneer support online. Um, I don't have the announcement in front of me. Do you remember precisely what it was? Uh, I believe that all they said was um, that they were um, putting off uh, Pioneer Masters. I don't know about... That's what it is. They're suspending Pioneer Master. They're they're stopping work on Pioneer Masters on Arena. On, are- on Arena. And focusing on Historic. So, a lot of players saw that as basically the death knell of Pioneer. Like, okay, Arena is abandoning Pioneer in favor of Historic. And we're assuming that Paper will essentially follow suit. Not necessarily for Historic, but that it, the format Pioneer and Paper will basically receive no support because they're not bothering with it online. I don't know if I completely agree with that. The thing is, is Historic is a mess to port to paper, which we've talked about before. Like, that ban and restricted list, it's just a mess. It is. And it works online, but I, I, I really have trouble with that working well in paper because there's not really any rhyme or reason to it. At least with Modern, uh, you know, the ban list is pretty substantial, but it makes sense. Whereas in Historic, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's an organic band list, if that makes sense. So um, let me give you exactly what they said, because it was in uh, the State of the Game announcement back on the 2nd. Historic experienced rapid growth and change over the last year, developing into a unique and compelling format. We're excited to have it feel distinct, and we want it to continue to build on that. Unfortunately, our schedule doesn't have room to focus on growing that unique identity for Historic and fully supporting Pioneer. Some steps toward Pioneer will come as part of Historic's growth, but we have paused work on Pioneer Masters sets for the time being. We do not anticipate such a release in the next year. We have a plan for those sets, but for now, we'll be focusing on expanding Historic in other ways. So I think that it is eventually going to be Historic and Pioneer lining up. It's just going to take a long-ass time, which is valid. There's a a whole lot of sets and a whole lot of weird mechanics to program in there yeah so that one sentence in there about supporting historic in other ways almost sounds like they might be intending to adjust the format in such a way to make it translate to paper like oh we're gonna print a historic masters or two and then do a massive overhaul of the ban list to bring it in line with something that we could port into paper. 
they need it to to match up in paper because um like right now with arena once something rotates out of standard it's pretty useless and uh they don't have any kind of uh dusting or trade-in function like it, your play sets of all your throne of eldraine things uh they're going to be useless after october whatever it is that that rotation happens so um you know that that's what their goal is they want to build that format and i i think that expanding historic until it becomes pioneer is the most likely one because uh remember when pioneer was announced like it was uh, every week it was like 30 different cards spiked because people found new and cool things to do in pioneer so i i think that pioneer is a, a better place to be Historic has always been kind of a stopgap thing until they can figure it out. I'm, um, I will be sad if Pioneer goes. I don't think uh, Pioneer's going anywhere. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess you leave it as it could get left as a lame duck, duck format. And I mean, arguably, you could say that it already is, which is it exists, but there's not really any meaningful support for it. No one plays it online. Your local stores don't really play it. There's no paper events for it. I would consider that a lame duck format. I think what they what they have to do, and they, they haven't been able to do this, is once um, big events come back, you're going to see a surprising number of Pioneer Grand Prix. You're going to see, like, they're going to push people into this format. And they're going to do everything they can to make it a big thing because they surely can't do that for historic as a format and they need something more recent. And uh, if you look at like all the cards that are possible in pioneer, you know, pioneer masters is a great way to just like reprint the important ones into arena and get historic in line with pioneer. That's, that's their eventual goal. It's just, they don't need to program every single card, just the most relevant cards. Mm. I just just watch when when paper comes back, you're going to see a lot more pioneer than you were expecting. I'm not saying that's not correct. I'm not saying that's impossible. I'm saying I'm unconvinced. Okay, that's valid. Unconvinced that they will do that. It seems like. I, I don't know what they the problem is I don't know what they replace it with but it does you know this this announcement does seem like they are signaling they're not interested in putting weight behind it in online and we know that they don't really care about paper magic at the moment so like they might just not care I don't know it's tough to say uh, I, I'm not saying we won't I'm just saying I I'm not sure all right, well, just remember this when the first Grand Prix back is Pioneer. Sure, well, that's not going to be the case. Oh, but, then what's it no, going to be? No, the first Grand Prix is not going to be Pioneer. But what's I it going to be, Mr. Clairvoyancy? Either standard or modern. Probably standard. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> it's going to be vintage. It's going to be a vintage GP, the first vintage GP of all time. That would be phenomenal if they like welcome back to grand prix vegas 2022 vintage yeah we gave you guys two years of no events i hope you saved your pennies <laughs> i saved your pennies indeed black lotus and triple 
Oh boy, that'd be wild. Uh, so th- 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 I guess the point of all this is that announcement has certainly shaken su- uh, support for Pioneer um, and increased support for Historic, but what's weird here in paper, so the card that we're talking about is Soul Guide Lantern, which I had not mentioned prior to this. Soul Guide Lantern from Theros Beyond Death, the foils, um, five and change up to 14. This, as far as I can tell, isn't really seen a lot of play in modern, um, right? Like I'm not crazy. No, you're I not feel crazy. Like we didn't really talk about this at all. Like I see, uh, two decks from the first challenge have a one of in the sideboard. Uh, the second challenge. There's a couple decks with it in the sideboard. I mean, so I, I'm, I'm a little up in the air. On the one hand, this could be people buying the foil copies because of the sideboard play in modern, which doesn't seem crazy, right? Like we talked about Kataki going up in price. And I guess all things considered, that's a fair, you know, Theros was consideration. Theros was during the pandemic. We did not open a lot of Theros, so there's not like a huge. Pool. Was Theros during the pandemic? Yeah, it was. Because um, it was thrown, and then Theros was like February, so it hit right at the beginning of that. I am dying. Firefox. <laughs> for some reason is screwing up the uh, fandom Wikipedia pages and anyone else using Firefox I'm wondering if they're running into this but it's driving me nuts um, January 24th 2020 well Theros Beyond Death, Death landed right before COVID right that's what I'm saying we, two, we didn't two have months. The, the full time because like six weeks later is when my school shut down and um, I know that, like, my local stores, you know, around the beginning of March. So you had not a lot of time to do this and a, a lot of, like, I don't, it's hard to remember what it was like in January of 2020. Like, where your mindset was about this disease. January so, of 2020, we weren't thinking about it. <laughs> I'm sorry, January 21. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> uh, we were vaguely aware of it. If you were, if you paid attention online, you heard about the disease in China, and you wondered if it would make it here. Yeah. Um, all right. So let me say this. My suspicions that this is tied the historic are probably wrong. It is likely because of its sideboard status in modern um, Soul Guide Lantern. However, I do wonder if the historic announcement may shift prices in paper i don't man nah, doesn't seem likely i'm gonna say that it's okay to say you don't know as well yeah i mean i, I mean we're the ones with the podcast <laughs> like we're we're supposed to be the ones that know i think i've decided that this was just modern sideboard play and it's probably not related to historic but it does make me wonder about it okay if we could see that start to happen where people are like oh i'm gonna start buying historic staples that are dirt cheap in paper because they're not good in modern just in case, right? Like if a card's like 20 cents, sure. I'll buy a play set of this and that and this and that. And then that way, 
if push comes to shove, I have them. And if not, I'm out a couple bucks. All right. Interesting. Oh, that, that, that would be, um, worth, it would be worth a more thorough review of historic just to see what else is out there, what the possibilities could be on, on the, and I wouldn't buy ahead of time, but just to kind of have that in your back pocket, like, okay, uh, you know, if historic were a paper format today, what would I buy? You know, what would change? And just know what that list is so that if Wizards ever drops a lit, ever drops an announcement, you know what to do. Okay. I can, I can see that. Okay. Okay. I'm glad you can see that. Uh, what's your next list? Next card. Next up on the list is Shinka, the blood soaked keep. Non foils have jumped from about uh, 15 to around 40 for a pretty impressive growth here. And it's just off of seeing, uh, it's a one-of in a lot of different decks uh, playing uh, Ragavan. And some of them are playing like a, a Kroxa. Uh, you might have it along... Like it'll give your Lurus first strike. It's just... It's basically free. You gotta pay a, a red mana, give target legendary creature first strike until end of turn. It's a land. Comes into play untapped. It's a legendary land. So you can't have more than one in play. But these decks are only playing exactly one. And it's... Just like, oh, you have a two-toughness creature. Well, let me attack with my uh, Monkey of Infinite Doom here. Are you going to make me spend all my mana and just get rid of your creature for nothing? Or are you going to let it through on that thread of activation? Yeah, I mean, that's really where the I, I would suspect a lot of the value comes from, is you can attack with your Ragavan into uh, a two-toughness blocker, and they go, okay, well, do I let him zero for one me? Yes. By blocking and then turning on the first strike, or do I not sacrifice my creature but let him get a free trigger in because of that? Bro, so that's that's three mana. I, I'm blocking every time unless it's like something super super two mana. Well, what, the Shinka a, and the land well, Shinka and red. It's a three mana swing because you get the treasure if you let it through. Oh, I see. Uh, yes. Well, uh, so they your opponent makes a mana if they connect with the Ragavan, or you cost them two mana yes. if they block. Yeah. So there's three mana difference. So they paid three mana essentially to to destroy your creature. It's probably a trade you're supposed to make. I, it, it hurts. Like it, it it hurts my soul. But I would I would probably let the monkey. I would I would block the monkey every time. I would yeah. Go, sure. Spend all your mana this turn. Fine. I'm going to play something else. You're not developing your board and doing your plan. I'll, I'll let you spend that. But it feels good to get the freebie at the same time. Like, how are you going to argue with that? Yeah, and Shinka comes into play untapped. Yeah, there's no there's no drawback to playing the one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's non-basic, right? That's your drawback. But most lands are non-basic, so. Yeah. Uh, following that is a card that my friend was really proud to tell me that I should have bought after it had already went up in price. <laughs> He's like, oh, did you buy any of those when I told you they were cheap? I'm like, they weren't cheap when you told me to buy them. They had already spiked. <laughs> but <laughs> I hope you're listening to this, Nicholas. Uh, the card is Crime and Punishment. So this is a split card from Dissension, the original. Uh, no, no, not the original split cards, are they? I keep forgetting the uh, much older ones. So... Crime is a five mana sorcery. Put a creature or enchantment in an opponent's graveyard into play under your control so you can reanimate your opponent's creatures or enchantments. Uh, that would let you reanimate Urza Saga. Um, 
But the other side of this, Punishment, is a green-black axe. So two mana, basically. Destroy each artifact, creature, and enchantment with converted mana cost X. Now, this does not say non-land. And Urza's Saga is an enchantment. Uh, so for green-black, you get to destroy all for all enchantments with no mana cost. Uh, which can blow up your opponent's lands. You can also get some extra value on hitting artifacts as well because it hits artifact lands. Yes, you set X to zero. Yeah, so a kind of a two mana semi Armageddon again some decks, but good enough to get people interested. the uh, The reason we're talking about this card this week, the price from a dollar and change up to seventeen supposedly, was because this card has exactly one printing from Dissension, which is the second of the three sets from the original Ravnica. So what year is that? Two thousand four. It's the third set. Dissension is the third. It's was uh, it Ravnica Guild Pack Dissension. That's correct. Uh, am I right? So this is two thousand five. I don't remember what year that is. Two thousand six. I was close. I was close. Uh, which makes this a fifteen-year-old card. This card is older than pretty much all of our children. This card can almost drive. <laughs> uh, this card is definitely vaping. This um. <laughs> sure. Uh, this card. This card is uh, is looking sideways at older people and going, "Ugh, zoomers." Do do can you vape at fifteen? You no. It's supposed to be. Do you have to be eighteen to buy that. I believe it's twenty one. Twenty one. I mean, I feel like most of the people I see vaping are like mid twenties, late twenties. Yeah, like no, it's 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 twenty one. Doughy uh, white guys. Well, I see a lot of my uh, my high school students like trying to to hide that they're vaping in assorted places, and the fact that they're blowing out a cloud of stuff is you know always a dead giveaway. So, oh man, I heard. Yeah, they're standing around with USB thumbsticks in their mouth. What are they all doing? Oh my god, I confiscated uh, two different. Um, what's the name of the Zools? Jules. Zools. Jules. Jules. Zool. <laughs> Zool is the uh, bad guy from Ghostbusters. We're old, everybody, in case you, you didn't know that. Um, I am Zool. Yes. So I confiscated two different jewels, and I was like, who's got their USB uh, flash drive plugged into the wall? And then I, I showed up to another teacher, and they're like, oh, no, dude, somebody's trying to vape in your class. Because that's the whole thing. It looks like a, like a USB drive. That's so funny. Yeah. You're such a Gen Xer. It's true. <laughs> Go listen to Nirvana. She! <laughs> Anyone's kids who are listening to this just cringed. Uh, following, that, following Crime and Punishment is Arcbound Overseer, the foils out of Dark Steel. So these were like two and change, right? These were a cheap card. And now, supposedly around $40, that seems like a bit of a stretch. Uh, but this is a uh, Dark Steel, essentially Dark Steel only, and it's a rare. Um, I mean, it, it was on the list, but uh, that would be non foil. And I, we are talking about the foils here. This is the 8 mana 0 0 modular 6. 
at the beginning of your upkeep, put a 1-1 one, one counter on each creature with modular control you control. I mean, this has got to be Zabaz, right? Uh, it's I don't know what mana. else it would It's be. not actually playing it. I can't find a deck that, that actually had it in its list. Like, this would be a fun thing to, like, um, tinker for, but none of the Zabaz lists are playing tinker-type effects. <sighs> yeah, you know, it's... It's not showing up anywhere on MTG Top 8 now that I look. Yeah, uh, it could just be that somebody was like, Modular is in the Top 8. I need to go find Modular Foils. And, you know, Dark Steel so, was 2004. So, sure. So here's, here's what I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm going to say this is for Zavaz, but as an EDH card. Sure, call it a Modular Buyout. Yeah, I think this is just people looking at... Zabaz, the commander, and seeing this card at you know two fifty for foils that are from two thousand five, and going sure, let's give it a shot, um, rather than anything else. Uh, let's see, what's the last sold one? Um, <laughs> uh, normal. I want foil. Um. I see a near mint looks like foil sold for three thirteen on seven five. A lot of you know, ones with light play, but nothing over four dollars. So, you know, if you can get that first big sale of Arcbound Overseer foils, congratulations. I think somebody will. I mean someone out there is gonna build a Zabaz deck, right? A few people have already done a Zabaz deck, it's true. Yeah, so it seems likely that you'll, someone will give you money for it. Um, and finish off the week here with Back to Nature out of M11, and I'm pretty sure I know why this is. This is a two-mana instant destroy all enchantments. That blows up. Urza Sagas. Uh, I, I can't imagine what else this would be. A card was printed in M10 and M, uh, I'm sorry, M11 and M15. Um... And pretty tidy little enchantment destruction here. Uh, looks like you can still find, let's see, I see a foil copy for five, a handful of foil copies for five on the M15 version, six of them from MTG Mint Card, but then there's the next guys at 30. Uh, so if you think you've got a plan here, you can go after those copies there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a... It's two mana to kill their land and, you know, mess with their whole plan. Um, it's not the worst plan anybody's ever had. It's just that um, somebody, like, there's, yeah, there's a, a lot of near mint foils to be had because the actual sales don't appear to back up uh, giant price increases. Although there was a near mint foil uh, sold two days ago for $6. So, there you go. So all it so, takes is a couple of those, and then people are like, let's do this. There's a couple foils for the M15 version. Uh, what did I say? It was six copies, $3.29, plus $1.19 shipping. And if you buy all six, you only pay the shipping costs once. There you go. First person to listen to this, back to nature, $4 copies on TCG Player for you. Please, everyone, if you take nothing else from today's podcast, uh, stop listing a whole bunch of copies of a card with that arrangement it's really dumb stop doing well it. this is so for you and i you're absolutely correct 
Like it's, you know, we, we should try to dole our copies out a little bit at a time, but the guy who has six copies is MTG mint card. Who's like consistently like the number one or number two, most inventory on TCG player. They're not messing around. They're, they're a liquidity game, right? They just want to chew through everything. Their, their plan is that because they want you to buy all of their copies so that that's why they've priced it this way. Yeah. So that's, yes. That's that's what I'm encouraging. Like I'm saying, like when you have a five dollar card plus five dollar shipping on a ten dollar card, if you list oh. all six of your copies, because you're like, oh, I'm going to be the lowest listed price because I'm going to up my shipping, and then you're going to be out, you know, twenty some odd dollars because you decided to list it silly. Um, yeah, don't do that. Generally if you, speaking, if, for for anyone who has not done so yet. Uh, if you ever decide to start a TCG store, try and set your shipping to free, just free across the board. Yep. Because if you ever have multiple copies, it's an it's annoying to list multiple copies when you have a, a set shipping price. Whereas if the shipping is free, you know you can just change the price on, on the individual copies without messing up the math. Uh, okay, so that's all of our paper movers for the week. Fun times. Well, with that in mind, let's move on to segment three, our cards to watch. Uh, you and I have some delightful picks, uh, including one I clearly haven't paid attention to of yours. But uh, my first pick of this week, um, I'm planning way ahead, and I'm thinking of the Innistrad Vampires set. And I went looking for some neat vampires that didn't have a lot of copies in circulation or were bigger on EDH rack than I thought they would be. And I came up with Patron of the Vein out of Commander 2017. So it's not available in foil. It's only got the one printing. It's already 9 bucks due to everybody who loves vampires. Now this is a 6-mana vampire for black-black. When it comes into play, destroy target creature. It also has, whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, uh, exile it, and then put a 1-1 counter on each vampire you control. So you get, uh, basically, you kill something and you get a 5-5 flyer for 6 mana. It's a pretty good deal. It has the exile synergies, it has the vampire synergies. It's it's fun stuff. Uh, but since it's only in the one commander deck, there's not a lot of copies out there. And if everybody starts building vampires, I expect this to be one of the, the big things. So I'm, I'm figuring it'll do about a double up from 9 to around 20, and... You know, I, I'm heavily invested, uh, counting on people going crazy for vampires in the next set the way that, um, they might, they're about to start going crazy for dragons. This is an interesting pick. I, first of all, I really like your angle of thinking ahead to Innistrad. Um, and seeing what we can get out of that, I think that's a, a smart plan. I also think vampires in that set are pretty much guaranteed. So I can't argue with that either. Uh, also, this is not a bad pick based on the fact that it's got the one printing uh, and it was only in those commander decks. I've seen about 40 vendors, low of nine bucks. I mean, you definitely don't want to reprint here. Uh, reprint would be bad news. You are correct in that. I don't think... The odds of that seem pretty low. Like you could see the show up in standard this or the commander deck. It wouldn't break standard to print a card like this, so there there is that risk. But we're living in the time of secret layers and uh, multiple commander issuings. We get a, a commander set per set, so like 
the reprints are all o- all around us, and I just I have gotten into cognitive dissonance levels of not caring about reprints now. Like it's just yeah, it's just always there. I can't right. I, I I can't spend any time thinking about that or I'll go nuts. Yeah, I I, I understand that. Uh, yeah, I think I mean you know I really wanted this to be five or six bucks. Right. Uh, nine bucks is a touch steep. The it's also it's in three thousand EDH rec decks. It's not the most, but like it is te- it is tempting here because if they print another Edgar Markov or something like that that gets some real traction, and this doesn't see another reprint, this will be a forty dollar card. So, I think there's a touch more risk on this than there is in some of the other stuff we talk about, but I also think the potential for the reward is there as well. I'll take that. I I accept some level of little, risk in these. Like, touch, yeah, sure. Got to live, live moss here. Well, danger makes the, the heart go fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a fine choice. And if you can snag them, I mean, I I don't, I, James tends to do this with card market up. I don't have it open, uh, but I do wonder if they are considerably cheaper there. Um, You, you can peek at that while I uh, look at my first pick here, which is uh, an, an, Oldie but a goodie, uh, a card that I got burned on real good in the past, uh, which is Eidolon of Blossoms. So I'm looking specifically at the foils Eidolon of Blossom. They're about 350 right now. Eidolon of Blossoms is in about 11,000 EDH reckless, so a uh, pretty healthy number there. We just got Sithis printed, uh, the card designed uh, by wizards to make fun of people with lisps. <laughs> but this is is the green white enchantment creature. Um, it's an enchantress. You gain a life and draw a card. It's a very good commander for enchantment decks. She's been pretty popular so far. We'll probably continue on to be sort of a tier three maintain popularity enchantment commander for a while. Um, specifically, though, Eidolana Blossoms. There are twelve listings for the pack foils at about three fifty ish. They go up without too long. Um, there's four buy a box listings, I think, right in that ballpark, you know, at like eight or nine bucks or something. Um, so overall, f- supply on foil idolata blossoms is very low. None of these are extraordinary versions. You know, you're not getting any extended arts. This was the original Theros, so Journey into Nyx, technically. So it was prior to all that jazz, um, but it's still the best version that we'll see for a while. I will say. Well, I was going to say that it would be a reasonable target for a secret layer that was, t- you know, kind of themed Theros-ish. But, like, I feel like if we were going to see that, it probably already would have passed. And we just got that recent, like, the summer refreshing summer super drop or whatever. Uh, so I don't see Eidolon of Blossoms showing up again anytime soon. And at 350 for foils with a brand new enchantment commander that's going to push a couple players into it, we do not need to move a lot of copies before this is up to ten or twelve dollars. I'm with you, buddy. Uh, this is uh, a solid pick. Um, it goes back to when you know uh, original Theros was 2014. So you know this has been a card that people have put into their decks, or you know they got uh, trampled on. This was. Um, which 
was this Theros Theros or was this um, no? It was Journey. Journey in the next. So it was the the smallest set. This was back when the six to one ratio applied. So for every six Theros oh, rares, yeah. every, in, this, in this case foil, for every six copies of a certain foil rare from Theros, you're getting one of these. And uh, to balance that out a little bit is the buy a box, but this is such a low buy-in for such a, a high upside card that um, this, this is a slam dunk. Like, go forth, buy your copies, do well. Uh, I I sanctify this pick. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so I checked Patron of the Vein over on Card Market. Um, it's not really that much cheaper. I see some copies in like five, six, seven euros. But with the exchange rate, that's pretty close to nine. Um, Shipping so will get you not, to nine, definitely. Yeah, so, right, right, right. Even if you somehow were getting these with no shipping, you're not doing that much better. So, uh, which is, I mean, is reaffirming because it means that there's no really deep, cheap supply of these waiting to bite you in the butt. I like the one person on Card Market. I, I looked it up, too. Somebody's got a uh, near mint English one for 19 euro, just hanging out and waiting. He's got optimism. <laughs> he knows it's going to happen. He's taking my strategy. Yeah. Um, my next pick this week is Cabal Coffers, the regular ones out of uh, Modern Horizons 2. I'm telling you to go get your copies cheap. They're $35 right now. They are not going to get cheaper. Uh, if, if you've been waiting for the right time, the right time is now. So is this the non-foils? Non-foils, non-border, just the regular, as basic as can be. It's down to 35 bucks for a coffers. If you have been wanting one, go get one. Um, I, I, the most, One of our most simplistic things is buy low, sell high. We are at maximum supply. I know you don't necessarily agree with that, and I'm going to let you say your piece in a moment. But that... The, I said it last week, and this is where we are. The prices have really come down. We may get a little bit lower because um, the power level and the attention level of Forgotten Realms may not be super high. But if it falls down to 30, I'm not going to feel bad about getting all the copies I need for decks plus a couple of extras for when they go back up into the 50 to 60 range. Uh, even if, if. if you want to go for special ones, um, Torment copies the original old borders they're down to 67 bucks they were uh, 150 plus for the non-foils so grab what you want now go with my blessing if i'm understanding this correctly i can get modern horizons to normal copies uh for 28 dollars uh, then let me change my buy price to 28 dollars <laughs> it's uh the one store has five copies at 28 21 uh, Card House Games has 46 copies at $28. So that looks to be the price you will pay. Okay. Then I'm, I'm changing. I just changed the spreadsheet right now. And $28 is an even better buy price. If it gets down to 25 fantastic. Well, um, you know, this is obviously much newer and deeper stock than we would typically discuss here. Um, but I, I don't hate this at all. I mean, your timeline is definitely long. You've got 12 months, but I mean, really, that's probably, I would estimate one to two years reasonably. Um, but I mean, Cabal Coffers was how much before this? It was like 80 bucks or something like that. There was a point where the pre-order price for this was a hundred dollars. 
Uh, let's see, tabletop. So this was the Torment version. No, this is the Plane Chase version. Where's the Torment version? Torment version of this, which is still not cheap. Uh, so just this year before April was up to over a hundred dollars. It was between a hundred and 150 from mid March all the way to almost June. So when I don't remember when modern horizons two spoilers started, but it was probably early June or something like that. Right. Um, so, and now their copies are 28 bucks. So, I would agree that it is likely that these climb back up to yeah, 50 to 60 bucks seems very reasonable. 50, 50 at least I would say um, you, you know, as I've mentioned before, I'm not a hundred percent on modern horizons two cards quite yet. Uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes, but um, again, at 28 bucks, like how much is this going to slip from here? Like probably not much, right? Right. If we lose, lose price from 28, it's not, it's not going below $20, like 23, 24 has got to be close to the lowest that we're going to hit here. If it hit $20 and you could buy X copies, what is your X? Oh. $20, is that what you asked me? Yeah, how many copies would you buy at $20 if given, you know, everything? Mm, I'd throw a couple hundred dollars at it. I'd be fine with that. I, I feel like my number would be... A lot higher than that, but much much higher. I, I would I would be giving serious thought to like, is the rate of return on Cabal Coffers going to be better than a, my credit card's interest rate? Well, first of all, number one financial advice in this podcast: pay your credit cards off each month. Well, I know, but that's why I'm saying like, <laughs> if at, at a a card with you know thirty three thousand eighty eight or thirty two thousand, if you round down, you know, at literally one in ten black decks is running this card and that's only the people who bother to mention it so like we're all we're only getting the copies from uh vendors we're not getting you know individuals who are like oh i've got an extra cabal coffers no i don't i've got a deck that needs this this is this is as as good as it gets and uh i just i want to tell people to get your copies cheap while you can you know we I don't think James and I had ever put a 10 on a card, and in back-to-back weeks, you put down a 10. Oh, that's because I have confidence, baby. <laughs> You're, you are, as I said, living moss. Um, yeah, no, I think this is a solid play, and it's different than the type of stuff we normally do, uh, but that doesn't mean it's wrong or bad. I think that Cabal Coffers has obviously a stellar legacy in EDH. I think that people are going to be scooping up cheap copies of this because they want them for decks and they're going to want more than one. And, you know, you might look at TCG Player and see 200 copies, maybe even 300 and kind of balk at that. But realistically, like, that's what, three or four people per state who buy one copy and you've exhausted TCG Player. Like, that's really not a lot. I mean, how many copies in New York City are going to sell in the next two weeks? You know, New York City alone. If I look at the recent sales, so here's a good here's a good data point. This is actually an extremely good data point. The recent sales for Cabal Coffers on TCG Player, we we said last week that it's 25 results are shown. The 25 most recent sales. Every single sale for this card is today. 
<laughs> it sure is. Every every car every sale of this card it was the last twenty five sales are today. I don't think I I have not seen a card do that yet. So clearly there's a very high velocity on this card. So buying in at twenty eight, if you can sneak them out a little bit cheaper elsewhere, I think you're probably in good shape. Uh, I think that in a week, uh, Card House Games is going to send us a card saying thank you because they'll have sold all forty six of their copies at twenty eight dollars. <laughs> and what if we do? Let's see. The Japanese are twenty seven. Hmm. Hmm. I find I have a harder time reselling. Uh, I, I can trade away Japanese language cards left and right to like commander groups I play with. It's just that uh, reselling cards in other languages I find is usually a little trickier. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you on that. Um, okay, so I think that's a solid, uh, solid direction to go. So my next pick is Castle Vantress. Um, this is the card from Throne of Eldraine, the blue land, uh, it comes in the play tap unless you control an island, and it's four mana tap, scry two. So why are we talking about Castle Vantress? Uh, it's in 24,000 EDH direct decks, not quite as much as Cabal Coffers, but it's still a pretty good number. Um, it's really popular on TCG Player if you go to Throne of Eldraine and sort by, um, best selling. It's, uh, I think it's like top 10, top seven or something like that. Castle Lachwain is in like 1% more EDH Reckless. It's very similar. And Castle Lachwain uh, extended art foils are already around $50, 52 or 53. And Castle Ventress is 28. So this is virtually as possible, as popular as Castle Lachwain is at almost half the price. Um, the supply is is fine. Uh, we're looking at 18 vendors, so it's not terribly deep. It's not zero, right? We're not talking about six or seven vendors, but 18 is pretty low. No one seems to have more than two or three copies. Um, so given how popular this is and, and the sta standard set by the other castles, which are already 50 plus dollars, uh, I think grabbing these around 28 for, you know, hang out on these for several months for sure. Um, you're probably going to get there uh, next year is my goal here. You should slap a 10 on this one, too, because this is this is amazing. I didn't know <laughs> they were. I, I just honestly, I figured um, given that Scry 2 is probably better than draw a card in a, a late game, especially a commander game. Um, this is this is great. Um, I bless this pick even harder than I did the other one because... Um, all the reasons you said, uh, it's a, a great ability. Uh, you, it costs you almost nothing. Um, the, the numbers are clearly there if, and it lines up beautifully. Uh, this is really well done. And I'm, I'm glad for all the people who are going to go out and buy it and get some great value just because you're brilliant, Travis. Well, well, if half, if, uh, if 10, uh, MTG price members decide to take me up on this and go buy a copy under $30. Good news, you guys will pretty much have already set the new floor for the card on your own. So that's uh, the, the power of hive mind thinking. Well, if um, if uh, they if we sell, uh, what, 2, 3, 21, if we sell 1, 2, 3, if we sell 18 of those copies, the new floor is 80. Ooh, there you go, guys. Buy it out. 
set the new price. You heard it here first. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what else you got for us? Uh, my last pick this week is the um, from the Mystic Archive, Strixhaven, uh, Crux of Fate, the uh, Japanese art traditional foils. Uh, you can get these for $20 on TCG Player. And full disclosure, I bought a set at $32 because I thought there's no way this goes cheaper. And I'm considering how many more copies I want to buy because uh, it's already in 13,000 commander decks. But um, like I said last week, I think the dragon hype is about to take off. And this is such an unfair card in dragon decks it, it is such a magical thing to like play your five and six drop dragons and have this wrath in your hand and know that it's not going to touch your stuff. It is intoxicating. I can't advocate enough for doing these kinds of things one-sided. It's, it's Cyclonic Rift territory, only it doesn't make everybody else go, oh, I just want to quit the game. You're just like, oh, I should have been playing dragons. So uh, I think that um, I'm, I put down, uh, going from 20 to 35, uh, as you know, for just a nearly a double up is my, uh, guess. But once the dragon hype becomes real, then, uh, we're going to see a lot of dragons and dragon accessories go crazy. And this should be one of the main ones to benefit from that. The fact that it's already, uh, at 20 with the number of deck, $20 with the number of decks that it's in really bodes well for it. Crescent is a pre-gross card. Um, let's see. It's been in Whisper. So we had the original printing plus a Commander 2017 printing, and then the uh, archive printings was the next one. Um, just, I'm just kind of poking around at some of the numbers on Crescent Fate here. So it looks like foils of this pack foils been floating around five or six bucks for a while now. So you're definitely paying for the Japanese foils here at $20 or so. It's like nineteen fifty at the absolute cheapest. 60 vendors. So there's some inventory here. I'm not seeing any sell walls, but there's definitely, you know, a handful of inventory. But I, I honestly, it's ridiculous to say this, but I had half forgotten about these archives. Like, oh, yeah, these were really cool two months ago when I was buying them. And now I don't remember they're there. Um, and I think you're right that, you know, trying to get ahead of the dragon hype a little bit and put some copies in people's hands is also likely decent. And the nice thing about this is if the dragon commander decks come along and uh, push some players into this and you move copies based on that, excellent. But if that doesn't do a lot, uh, wait six months and we will see more dragon related product of some sort that will push additional demand. So like the worst case scenario here is that rather than getting to sell these in like three months, you sell them in, you know, nine months or a year or something. But I do think that uh, these are going to grow in price just because it's an extremely cool card um, that lo- you know, just looks great. And players love dragons. That's a good version of the card. And the, the English one has the the English Strixhaven or the English archive has the weird uh, character of being the copied artwork, right? The plagiarized artwork. Yeah, so I don't know if that's better or worse. Like I, it is amusing because then if you own the thing is is like that's that was a shitty thing for the artist to do, but it is as a player kind of amusing to own that card. So every time you play it, you can go. Did you guys know about this? 
Yeah, I I just don't think it gives any like financial credence to it. Like the Death Corona Space Godzilla, that's like there was a point where people were selling that one in for two hundred dollars, yeah. and now yeah, that's I nothing. That. So yeah. uh, while it's neat, uh, it it doesn't have any uh, it won't have any bearing on it. But when when you know that it's plagiarized, it really looks like somebody cut out paper cop paper puppets and like repositioned them on that art. It's pretty yeah. silly. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I think this card looks awesome. Crux of Fate's a very popular card. We, we're always getting more dragon stuff. Um, and reprints won't affect this. Reprints will honestly help because then people might go look for other versions of Crux of Fate. So I think it's a good choice. Thank you, sir. Um, all right. So the, the moment you've all been waiting for, the <laughs> listener pick of the week, uh, I don't have one. <laughs> unsurprisingly uh you guys didn't send me any like i got very few listener picks this week you can blame me for not tagging the here in the discord channel so i apologize for not drawing enough attention to it um kind of forgot about it until the last minute uh so that's on me but we didn't get that many um so what i'm gonna do here is instead of talk about you know a listener pick uh i made a joke last week about you know, instead I'm going to call people out and make fun of them for their terrible picks, but I'm not going to do that, but we, I will talk about one or two that we got and just kind of highlight sort of why Cliff and I kind of had a little bit of a, why, why we weren't wild about going, going in on them. Um, the first one that came up here was terror of the peaks. We talked about this before we started recording and now I have to remember what we were talking about. So the, we were talking about pl- how uh, it was a, one of in some of these glimpse of tomorrow decks because as you keep playing chancellor of the forges and replaying glimpse of tomorrow um it turns out that every time something comes into play it's pinging the opponent for damage and so that's your win condition is to just keep shuffling it back in and redoing this and replaying it so that you can then keep going because uh goblin goblin dark dwellers i don't think uh uh no it does um exile instead so you don't get endless castings you just get uh you know one or two extra but that's this this you're gonna get more um with terror of the peaks and everything else you're hoping to get enough damage in there and as a one of in a cool deck um it's not gonna get there as a pick and it's go ahead I mean, it's got it does have some EDH demand. Terror, Terror of the Peaks. It's got it's in ten thousand decks, so six percent of red decks since it was printed, which isn't terrible. I mean, it's not bad. Um, and you know, we we're just talking about dragons having an appeal, so it's reasonable there as well. So, like, it's not a bad card. Uh, that's not really my concern. Um, let me. I was thinking we were looking at the price graph here. I don't remember what we were talking about. I think for me, there's 155 listings on this. A lot of copies at $17, $18. The call here was from $17 to $30. Um, there is a comment that last year this individual was selling copies at $15. So it's been a year and this has moved from $15 to $18. Um, now, the, the Card Kingdom buy list credit a cover um it is i'm being told here is 14 cash 18 store credit so you actually pretty much break you know you could buy these at cash and essentially break even on credit to ck but i i look at this and i 
I, I don't think it's it's not like it it's not like it's a bad pick. I mean, it's not terrible. It's just not something that I am confident enough to like put on the cast and recommend to all these people. But if you told me you were just kind of scooping these up here and there with the intent of you know expecting them to move, then I, I don't like I don't hate it. It's just it doesn't really spark. You know what I mean? Right. That's that's kind of my challenge, and and I I turn away picks every week, not from listeners, but from my own, where I find stuff that like it looks fine, but I don't have like a really compelling reason to talk about it, so I just I just put it aside, and I'll come back to it. Like I like it, it really needs to be compelling. It does, and this, like you said, um, it's a neat dragon, and it's a great effect, but if it's had a year as a mythic to grow, and it hasn't, so. Um, you know, it's it's just nothing I want to write home about. Uh, what was yeah? What was the next card? I I forgot what the other one was. Uh, we had in foil extended art endurance was one of them. Oh yeah. Uh, so endurance is the one green green three four with flash and reach too, right? Uh, yeah, flash and reach. And when it yep. enters the battlefield, uh, up to one target player puts all the cards from their graveyard on the bottom of their library in a random order. And this has the evoke of exile a green card from your hand so that you can play it for free whenever you need to and get this instant speed exile target player's graveyard while only playing, you know, uh, creatures. So uh, this was a, a pick because it's it's showing up in some modern sideboards. It's, uh, you know, foil full art. Uh, it is cool and all, but it's just not seeing very much play, not enough to to get us interested really it's seeing even less play than uh solitude which has a higher price in at the moment but we'll see yeah it's the call was like 50 55 to 90 dollars um within the next six months to a year but you know there's a couple things like you said the play is pretty low this is way down the modern horizons 2 page so if you go to the set page on edh rec and you find endurance um, it's like 30 or 40 slots down or something like that. So it's not terribly popular within the set. Um, you know, it's, it's not big in commander in modern. It sees a little bit of play, but we're not seeing much of it. It's not really showing up in main decks for the most part. I mean, legacy was commented on, but I, I, legacy. So, <laughs> I, and th- th- this is the additional challenge of being a modern horizons two guard, which I'm lukewarm on just across the board, like across the board. I'm lukewarm on modern horizons two. And you had me, you had, you heard me giving cliff, a, 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 a bit of a jostle about the cabal coffers as well, which is also modern horizons two. Um, it's, it's not that I don't think the picks here will be good, but I think we're still very early in that cycle. And I think some of this stuff has kind of bottomed out, but not all of it has. Um, so there's still, especially on cards that aren't like immediately rebounding, like Ragavan has probably, you know, turned around really hard because that deck, that card just changed modern. All over the but place. For every, right. But for everything else, it's like, it's going to kind of languish a little bit. And the additional part of this um, that I kind of alluded to earlier, you know, and this was a semi uh, segue to, to segment four is um, real quick. The Dungeons and Dragons set is very low power. The price on the set is very low and people just recognize it as not being a, a high powered set. Now, depowering sets is good. 
uh, it doesn't mean people won't play it, but blah, blah, blah. But the point is, is that for people who are interested in spending money on magic cards, it's not driving people to buy boxes. So if people aren't spending their money on D&D, we could see an extended period of buying and cracking on Modern Horizons 2. Um, D- the D&D set is just not driving player spending, I think, the way that it could be which means there might be some additional demand on Modern Horizons 2 for longer than we would expect. Yeah, um, and it's not like we had... So Strixhaven had the Mystic Archive to keep the interest. Like, this is a whole set of not only reprints, but also, like, uh, a, a super uh, version of these reprints. So, like, we got not just Counterspell, but two versions of Counterspell, for instance. So they did something with Strixhaven, even though the set itself is not terribly powerful. They gave us something additional. Uh, Kaltheim gave us uh, the Phyrexian foil um, uh, Vorinclex to talk about. And, you know, these are, these are all, like, things that they did in addition to a regular set. They didn't really give us anything in addition here. Now, they gave us some really cool um, sketch artwork uh you know the the basic outline the monster manual they're calling it for the showcase and we have these um very uh distinctive looking land frames in the uh the the module covers which are all like really neat and i'm a a big fan of doing something different but we just have to recognize they did not give us a high-powered set in itself and that like you said uh, this might mean that we're opening Modern Horizons 2 for longer. If you said to me, uh, which would you rather draft? I know what I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick the higher powered set. But, um, you know, what's what's it going to take? And uh, they, they just didn't give us anything to, to goose this one the same way. Yeah, and you, you, have, you have overall lower power level. You also have... Um, showcases that are not that are kind of polarizing you know they're not as exciting as the Strixhaven uh, the Mystical Archives so you just got a couple factors that are just gonna people aren't gonna get into it as much as they did Modern Horizons 2 so it could it could drag that out um, the last card that I wanted to touch on that we saw that I want uh, is here is the foil um, expedition secret coasts from Zendikar Rising um, and the comments are talking about Blackleaf Cliffs and Dark Shores having popped up. But Seacrum Coast already did. Like, Seacrum Coast were... Um, I think, what do we say the cheapest copy is right now? It is... So many cards and ta- tabs right now. <laughs> so they're like $28 foils right now, but they were like... <laughs> what was it? $15 like a week ago or something like that? Yeah. Um, just about, yeah, so they were under, they were 10 to $12 as of like two or three weeks ago, and now they're at 28. So you, you just, you just missed the boat. Like buying these at 28 is not exciting. Um, like what are you really hoping for? Like the card is already more than doubled and your goal here is towards a double again. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I really don't want to be buying with that high up the hype train. There is a comment that they're in Europe for less than 15 euros, so uh, go buy them there. Like <laughs> that, That's fine. <laughs> um, you know, you're buying half of TCG market at that point, but, you know, that's not... 
it's not a pick, right? Right? Like that's right. It's, it's just arbitrage at that point. Yeah. Um, I, and something we talked about beforehand was that you know this this is on the uptake. We're like we mentioned this last week, and you you just said again going from nine to twenty something. Uh, that's I I don't want to buy it then because I now need my purchase at twenty seven. I need it to go all the way up into the fifty to sixty range if I'm going to make it. Uh, worth it off of a buy list or a resale for more than you know five dollars so yeah. you know if, if i'm buying cards that have gone up 10 20 even 30 percent recently like that's okay because it shows me the cards on the upswing and i know there's still room to grow but we're talking about over a hundred percent gain in the last three weeks yeah so that's not a price point i'm eager to jump in at. okay uh, let's jump in over here. We're going to get through as much of the D&D set as we have time for, and then I imagine we'll have uh, possibly have Jason on in a couple weeks to talk about it, but no confer- confirmations on that at this point. Um, okay, so right off the bat here, I'm looking at Zariel, Archduke of Avenus. Uh, this is the four-mana red planeswalker that gives your creatures haste and also makes a red devil token. I, I didn't think this was terrible. This seems like it could be... Um, a decent contender in standard, especially after Throne of Drain rotates and the power level drops a little bit because you get to play a four mana walker with a reasonable blocker, um, the, the Red Devil token that will also do damage when it dies. And, you know, following up on that, being able to play a five drop and immediately give it haste or like two, a two and a three or something like that. Those are both pretty reasonable. If we have a, a good aggressive deck, this could be uh, a fun one, especially given that the it doesn't take too long for its ultimate to get there on the um, getting the emblem with uh, an extra combat phase for only a minus six because it comes down with four and immediately pluses to five next turn six. So three turns after you play it, you've got your ultimate and now you're doing double combat. So all you got to do mm-hmm. is is protect it. And if you're in an aggressive shell, you know, they want to leave their stuff back to block. I like. The, the removal in standard is so good, though, that, like, I'm I'm hesitant about, like, putting too many resources into a Planeswalker. And we'll we'll see if it stays that way uh, for the next few months. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's particularly relevant for EDH. I think it could end up being decent in standard, but what I would really need to see by the time fall rolls around is butts and seats at stores actually playing standard. <laughs> Um, and we, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't, I'm fairly confident that's not, uh, um, a responsible thing to be doing, at least not across the country. You know, these, uh, variants that are breaking out in the states with less vaccination rates are having a pretty dramatic toll. So, you know, I'm up here in the reasonably blue state of New York with a little, um, with a, a decent vaccination rate. I think we're at like 70% or something like that, but that's not the case everywhere. So, uh, we could be in for a long, several more months of this before players are really back at the table. In case it wasn't clear, folks, go get vaccinated. Go do it. Yes. Wait for yep. For everybody's sake. Please. Um, the uh, So I will tell you one card that caught my attention here as I'm scrolling up is Find the Path. This is a common. It's a three mana enchant land. The enchanted land has tap for double green. And when it enters the battlefield, you venture into the dungeon. Now we've seen cards that are three mana enchant land tap for double green get played in not just standard, but extended formats as well 
And adventure into the dungeon trigger on this is not irrelevant. It's not huge, but it's not terrible. Um, looks like you can you, off the first rooms you can scry one, which if you're if you're in a ramp deck, uh, uh, you know playing this and getting to scry one, that's totally fine. Like check and make sure you have the the big spell you're trying to hit on top, or you know move the land off the top or what have you. Like that's pretty decent. And if you have any other venture triggers, it's even better. So I I don't know I don't know how much this would end up mattering, um, but I, it does jump out at me as as a potential sleeper. The problem is it's a common, right? Um, so foils could get there a little down the road. I guess would be my thought. I, I just gotta say I'm I'm less uh, enthralled with the assorted dungeon triggers than you are. Um, they're you know not nothing as as you said, but like you're you're going to do uh you're going to need for something to that really affects the board that isn't a 1 1 token or two one one tokens you're going to need a 4 4 token after three or four um uh, so you trigger it once to go in once to move over yes yeah, so you need three triggers to get your um legendary 4 4 with death touch token and to get there you lost a life you discarded a card sacrificed a creature an artifact and a land, like you paid a price to to get that over three, so to do it four, uh, you're going to lose a life and either then lose two life or discard a card, or but lose two life I, and, and do the thing. So like it's hard to affect the board with the dungeon. But I, so I, well, I I'm not playing. First of all, Tomb of Annihilation is a very specific dungeon. I think for most most scenarios, you're not picking Tomb of Annihilation. Um, the, the reason that I can look at something like Find the Path and think it's interesting is that you could basically play that card almost without the Venture Trigger. Right. Like, without the Venture Trigger, this is pushing useful. Um, and the Venture Trigger is more than nothing, right? Like, it's it's not, it's not it's worth half a mana, roughly, in a deck with no other Venture Triggers. And if your deck does, then it's, even, it's a little better. Um, but, I mean, again, if this was just... That add double green and it scry ones when it enters the battlefield. That's fine. Um, and then if you manage to play a second one, the next trigger is create a treasure token. But you're playing a ramp deck, so you probably want that anyways. So like that's not terrible either. Uh, you keep you keep saying not terrible, and you're you're damning with faint praise over here, buddy. Well, basically, if the deck already wants the effect, the venturing is grows in usefulness. It starts at okay and then gets better, which is great on a card that you kind of already wanted to play anyways, But which is true of some of these, but not all of them. Okay. Um, as I'm poking around here, what else was interesting? Um, the, the costing on Venture, by the way, all over the place. Yeah. So Dungeon Descent is a land they showed us. Four mana. It's on a land, and it's four mana and tap a legendary creature to venture into the dungeon. Ooh, like that's such a high cost. Like it's it's better <laughs> to have the um the uh there's an artifact that does it for three taps for a colorless or three tap venture into the dungeon. Like that's significantly better than the land, I'd say. But then you got the land because you know that's almost free except it comes into play tapped and it's colorless only as a land yeah. you are paying a yeah. heavy heavy cost for this venturing I like feel- they, they wanted to make sure that um these things are 
you know, not crazy. Like, what? Well, didn't you have like Varys, the the Ranger? Uh, so it's a three three for three with Reach and Ward one, which is just you know attacks on the the kill spell that they use on it. Um, whenever you cast a creature or planeswalker, you get to venture, but only once per turn, and you get a free wolf whenever you complete a dungeon. Um, you know, there, there's they put a lot of fun triggers on these, like the the adventurer next to it has the um, death touch, and it's, if it's your turn, it has first strike, so. Death Touch and First Strike basically means unblockable, and whenever it attacks, go ahead and venture. Yeah, it's. I don't think I've ever seen a mechanic where the costing was so inconsistent or felt so inconsistent. Um, Varus is, is nifty. The three mana three three reach ward one. Uh, you're going to get a couple venture triggers off of that probably over the course of the game. The creatures, you know, the wolf token is likely irrelevant. Um, I think that it's. A three mana three three reach ward one probably only good if there's like a mono green beatdown deck type of thing. But if that deck exists, all those venture triggers are going to be real relevant. The can I, go ahead. I, I just um, no, you go ahead because when when we're done talking about venture, I want to rant for uh, about two minutes about d twenties. <laughs> well, the, right next to this card is Triumphant Adventurer. And now that's a card that actually looks like it could push Adventure into standard. This is the black, white, one, one, that touch. Yeah. And when it's your turn, it has first strike. So on your turn, you're just going to turn this sideways because it's a first strike, death touch. Uh, and every time it attacks, you're venturing, which is now that, now that's not terrible, right? Like, would you pay two mana for a one, one, first strike, death touch? No. Uh, yes. but the, absolutely I would. That's a great card. You, as as long as it's there, it, you, you need it's going to earn you a card, like a card with de- a one one with death touch. Well, are we talking standard or limited? I'm sorry. Standard. Oh, yeah, you're, I'm sorry, I'm, you're right. Never mind. I'm thinking limited. Yeah, I mean, limited is irrelevant. I don't care about limited. Uh, standard's interesting. Like again, could be part of after rotation of a. Of a of a deck with with venture triggers, it's relatively aggressive. I mean, if you pair this one with Tomb of Annihilation, on turn two you swing for one, they take the damage. You start Tomb of Annihilation, they lose another life. The next turn you attack with him, everyone loses two life and they discard a card, right? And so now you're attacking every turn with this first strike, death touch, and starting to put pressure on with Tomb of Annihilation. And it only takes four triggers to get that legendary 4-4. Four, four. That's not a huge creature, but each step of the way you're adding pressure with your Triumph Adventure and everything else you're doing. So you can kind of see how it snowballs a little there. I can see the the snowballing thing being, being a thing. Yeah, it, it just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. Um, Zalto, Fire Giant Duke, the 5-mana 7-3 Giant, when he's dealt damage, you venture. Um, he's interesting in Commander. Um, there's a really interest. there's a, there's a very fun-looking, uh, Commander further up, the, like, lizard-looking fellow, uh, who is gonna want you to deal damage to himself and will synergize with having Zalto in play. So I don't uh, I, I don't see Zalto being a, a, a meaningful card for the most part, but he could be do some work in EDH if there ends up being that that ends up being popular. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm with you on that. Um the, the, uh, there's a lot of uh you know individual creatures with uh a venture into the dungeon trigger on entrance and they're they're not terrible. Generally speaking, they're 
general like for the most part venturing into the dungeon as an ability is worth about a mana it looks like yeah yeah i i think it's like the very first room is worth probably a little less than a mana but the average across the card is probably a little more than that i would agree with that you know you're gonna get your your tokens and your scrying and your your incidental value here and there yeah uh kicking the door is kind of funny the one mana sorcery um one put a one one counter on it it gains haste uh, and then you venture so if you put this in your zada edh deck and you cast this you suddenly get like 15 or 20 venture triggers <laughs> okay yeah I that's that. that's fun <laughs> um the the treasure sub theme is also interesting because like all, almost all of my experience with treasures has been just you know flinching at smothering tithe so um, I'm be interested to see a lot more creatures and abilities with treasure tokens uh, doing cool things. You know, you get um, uh, bonuses for treasures uh, for using treasures in some of these cases. Yeah, they lean pretty hard in the treasure this time around. Um, Instrument of the Bards, absolutely abominable card truly a waste of cardboard it, it's really bad you might think oh it's just a fixed <laughs> version well they, they fixed it so hard they made it terrible because not only if you play it early can you not activate it for a couple of turns because it's one to play but four to activate uh it puts the card in your hand this is this is so much worse than um i can't remember the name of the green card um that it's two and a green tap put a counter on it, and then go find a creature with mana cost equal to the number of counters. I can't even keep... Yisan... Yisan, the Wandering Bard. Thank you. Is that what it yeah. was? Or this is also worse than Hibernation's End, the enchantment that has cumulative upkeep. Where you, the cumulative upkeep you paid, you go find something with that cost and put it into play. Now there's a throwback. I've, I have played both of these cards in Commander, and they, they, <laughs> they underwhelmed, let's put it that way. You know who's kind of a cool commander is Orcus, Prince of Undeath. Uh, the Flying Trample Demon, um, four mana X, and when he comes into play, it's either uh, each other creature gets minus X minus X until end turn, you lose X life, so he can come in and basically wrath or semi-wrath the board when you cast him, or return X creature cards with mana value X from your graveyard to the battlefield, and they gain haste. Um... And that's not until end of turn. They gain haste until end of turn, but they reanimate permanently. Yes. Also, uh, which is pretty gross because if you manage, if you cast him at like, if you pay like nine for him, you can get five creatures that cost five or less, and they're they stay in play permanently, and they all have haste. That's pretty gross. Actually, I, I think you're looking at it the wrong way because, like, toxic. This is toxic deluge plus a red mana. Oh, no, wait. No, no, no. It's yeah. not. It's not. Because Toxic Deluge, you don't have to pay the mana of X. Forget what I said. Just forget okay. what I said. I, I said something silly. Because, like, you can't um, Toxic Deluge for six on turn three with this card. Fair. Because you have, you have to pay uh, a mana and a life for that X. <laughs> uh, the Deck of Many Things, one of the mythic artifacts. This, is, this uses a D20, so feel free to now is your two-minute rant okay. about D20s. Listen, if somebody wants to roll a spin-down D20, you let them roll the spin-down D20. 
If you don't trust somebody in a game of Magic to roll a d20 in a way that isn't going to be... Like, if you notice them, like, positioning the die and then, like, doing a very short roll, then, great, you have caught somebody who's trying to manipulate this. You know what you do? You say, can I roll it? Okay? Or you just, like, have somebody else roll it. Or you put it in a box and shake it up and do do something like that. But, like, I, I got into this with uh, other people I know about spin-down D20s not being random enough, and I wanted to throw something across the room and break things because it takes an enormous amount of concentration and an enormous desire to cheat to, to do this. And if you keep finding people who roll natural 20s on these things, then fine. You found somebody who cares way too much about the incremental advantage they're going to get. That's my rant. Humans are notorious for being very terrible at understanding probability. And that certainly falls, this example certainly falls within that camp. Um, the deck of many things does not look like a good card to me. I don't see you ever playing this in standard and in EDH. I think most five mana artifacts are better than this. Uh, plus uh, two to activate and half the time it's going to be draw two. So you spent seven mana to draw two cards or nine mana to draw four half the time. Yeah. That's, it's, that's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, you can add the cards that improve your die rolling, but... Uh, I, um, I think that below it is um, YOLO. Volo, I'm sorry, it looks like YOLO. Volo, the Guide to Monsters, when you cast it... Uh, mm -hmm. That's a, a much more interesting commander card to me. Because when you cast something that doesn't share a creature type with anything in play or in your graveyard, you get a copy of that creature. You don't have to pay any mana. So it's like Riku, only you have to be more careful about what creature types you've got going on. But I could see myself building a 40 car, 40 set uh, in Simic. I'm building 40 different uh, creatures, none of which share a type with each other that I'm always going to copy. Sign me up. Yeah, Volo is um, is amusing for sure. Uh, rewards you for diversifying creature types, um, especially on your real payoffs. the The angle that we would be interested in here is as as a commander, we want to look for stuff that's going to you know double tokens, right? right. But like, okay, parallel lives is like an eighty dollar card, <laughs> so uh, I don't know how much fruit is left on the vine here. Yeah, plus like you 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 do want to look for the stuff that is going to double you up. It's crazy that doubling season is so much che is cheaper than uh, Parallel Lives, but that's where we are. Did you know, here's a little fun little tidbit for you, a little bit of Travis history. Uh, Star City came to Syracuse, New York, uh, and I attended that event, and it was a two-day event. They did, this was back when they did uh, Standard on Saturday and Legacy on Sunday. And I did not play on in the standard event. Instead, I just traded on the floor, and I just spent the whole day picking up parallel lives, and then traded them all in for store credit with Star City at something like four fifty a card, uh, and then spent all day trading for the parallel lives in order to pay for my entry fee into the legacy event on Sunday, which I proceeded to top eight, and I'm pretty sure I was the first person in the United States to play the Omnitel back in Legacy. Congratulations. Did you win? Yeah, and in fact, I was supposed to put a 
obliterate in my sideboard, but I couldn't find one, and I played something else instead. And after the like the Monday or Tuesday after the weekend, LSV found my list and played it, I think on stream, and wondered why the hell I had this card in my sideboard that made no sense. And that was why. <laughs> um, there was a, a Grand Prix where I sold Star City like $110 worth of spin-down dice. <laughs> That's quite a pile of spin-downs. It was a lot of spin-downs. I, I told all my friends, I will trade your spin-downs from you for a buck each. And then I, I brought them all to the, the Star City vendor at a GP. I was like, here you go. And uh, they stopped taking uh, dice on the buy list after that. <laughs> um, Delina Wild Mage, the four mana legendary creature, um, is worth noting because Splinter Twin is now legal and standard. Um. Delina is whenever you roll a 15 to 20, you create a token of a creature, and then you roll again. So there, one of the creatures in here is a fairy that um, whenever you roll a die, you add an additional die to your roll, and then you take whichever one you like. So the first time you trigger Delina, you have this fairy in play, and you have Delina. And the first time you attack, you're going to roll two dice. And if you hit a 15 to a 20, you copy the fairy. Now you do it again, uh, except now you have three dice, not two. And then if you manage to hit the 15 or 20, now you have four fairies and you're going to roll four dice or five dice or whatever. So every time you're successful, it gets more and more likely that you keep going. So it's not like a hard combo, like the way Splinter Twin is, but it's essentially splinter twin or close to it in standard i'm looking for this card i need to find this card what uh if i notice it as i'm scrolling i will point it out to you but it adds die rolls it's like a two mana fairy uh well you look for that i'm gonna keep moving here i'm just this these creature showcases like i get what they were going but just can't shake the feeling that nobody cares. It is. It's a very niche showcase look. I mean, it's a a, a simplistic look. Uh, we got something kind of like that with the sketches in Modern Horizons, but uh, apparently it's supposed to look really cool in foil. Yeah, I I'll take your word for it. I'll, I will take someone's word for it. Um, Wizard Spellbook. I want to like this card. This is a seven mana artifact that you then can immediately tap and exile an instant or sorcery. Then you roll a dice. Uh, one to nine is copy the card. You can cast the card, but it doesn't say you can cast it for free. So if you roll the bottom half of the die, the first time you put this into play, you just did nothing because you probably didn't have the mana to use it. So you have to wait an entire turn rotation before you can reasonably start activating the card because you probably won't have enough mana to pay for the card. Um, I mean, it's solid if you roll 10 or higher. You essentially get it for free. Uh, the, the 20 on this is pretty ludicrous. I don't know. It seems a little too expensive for how hard it is to make work, but maybe players will play it anyways. I mean, we're you're already at a 7-mana artifact, and you're going to be getting... You're not getting any... Uh, you're only getting the discount to 1-mana on half the rolls. So, like... The fact is, when you hit that 20, you're going to get all of it is pretty neat. And um, there will it's only a, it's only a rare, though. I don't, I don't think it's ever going to be that expensive because there is not a huge amount of people who are going to say, like, I can't wait to build the uh, only spells deck. 
Yeah, I mean, clearly, for something like that, you're right. You're only in on like these standard art foils. Yeah. Uh, the, the name really. of the crit- creature is Pixie Guide, and it's two mana, the one three flying. So if you would roll one or more dice, instead roll that many dice plus one and ignore the lowest. Yep. yep. And that stacks. So. Does does it, it mm-hmm. stacks up right? Yep, that's precisely how it works, because it gets more and more likely that you will continue to roll with each success. Um, so here's a card that I'm actually very fascinated by, uh, Demilic. So there's a lot of text on this card. This is a quad blue creature. Blue, 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 blue. Uh, it is a 4-3 skeleton wizard. It costs... Here's a text on here that's particularly relevant. It costs one less for each instant or sorcery you've cast this turn. If you cast four spells in a turn, Demi-Lick is free. And that's the part of this that I'm interested in. And you go, but you have to cast four spells. Like, that's hard to do. Sure, that's why Storm has never been successful, right? Like, casting multiple spells in a turn is really easy, especially when you have stuff like Monomorphos. Is that still legal? Yes. Do they ban that? Uh, it is still legal. So, Monomorphos and things of that nature, Mishra's Bobble, all that sorts of good stuff. Uh, although, this way, it was this incident or sorcery. Sorry, incident or sorcery, so Bobble doesn't count. But I don't think it's going to be hard to stack four instants or sorceries in a turn if that's what you want to do, which then immediately makes all of these free. So, presumably, or ideally, you were kind of trying to dig through your deck a little as you did this, uh, and you were playing this instants and sorceries and keeping the demolishes that you draw. So when you finally got to, you know, you ran out of spells to chain, hopefully you drew a couple of these and you get to just dump them all into play for free. Um, he's got some extra text on here too. When he attacks, exile an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. Uh, you can cast the copy. You still have to pay for it, um, which is unlikely to happen the turn that you, unlikely to happen on the turn that you put these into play for free. But the following turn, when you turn two or, two or three Demi-Liches sideways, uh, you're going to have mana to be able to cast them. And you can also cast this from your graveyard by exiling, exiling four spell cards um, in addition to paying for it. So like, even if people manage to kill them, uh, you exile a couple cards from your graveyard and you can cast them for free again. You can cast a demi for free if you've cast more spells that turn. So the, the, the last component of the last text on this, I think, is not the most relevant. It's just a nice little that it exists. The middle text about copying instant sorceries is nice, um, is, is solid. But really, the appeal here is that you can set up turns where you play this for free. And you combine this with other cards that do that. Like, um, oh, I can think what is the two name? Two cards that you're probably thinking that, of is one is um, Burgi. The God of Storytelling, where whenever you cast a spell, add a red. Or the Stormkiln Artist, whenever you cast a or copy an instant or sorcery, create a treasure. Both of those are very good. Um, I was thinking of the artifact creature, that whenever you discard a card, the mana cost goes down by two. Oh, uh, the the um, Golem guy. Uh, yeah, whose name I cannot remember at all. But that's another card that if you've cast a bunch of instant sorceries, he will now be free. So if you start to put a couple of these effects in a deck, you know, if you can set it up. So on turn two or three, you suddenly go off and then you put five or six creatures into play for no mana each. That's uh, that's not nothing, you know, it's not not nothing. That's true. I think it's interesting. Um, w- you don't agree. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to watch a stream where somebody is like i go off and play 38 spells in a turn with um Burgie and the storm kiln artist it's going to be neat i love watching weird decks go off so i'm 
I'm for it. Uh, Look, if you can cast creatures for free, I'm interested. Mm-hmm. That's where I. That's how I look at this. I don't have to be the guy to break it, but if you can cast a creature without paying any mana for it, that is interesting. You know who else you could cast without paying any mana for that I thought looked pretty interesting? What's that? Hogak. <laughs> um, what else do you see here that catches your attention? Um, I like... Uh, I'm going to look forward to the first uh, old Gnawbone deck, the uh, green dragon Ooh. mythic. Um, it's 7-7 seven, seven flying for 7 mana. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, create that many treasure tokens. It looks like a slam dunk. It's seven mana, though. Like, what are you... Uh, you you need to hit somebody uh, and draw a card for each thing that hit, and you're going to make 38 treasure tokens, but you already attacked. Like, I I, I like it. I'm, I'm a, a dragon's player, and I, I don't... I'm not as enthused about it as uh, others might think. Um... Somebody needs to tell me uh, the story of the beloved ranger with the hamster token, though. Uh, the beloved ranger with Boo, the legendary Minsk. red ham. So he's he's red, green, white. He's Naya. When he enters the play, create a one-one hamster token that's legendary named Boo, with trample and haste. <laughs> he's an angry mm-hmm. little bugger, and then until end of turn. It, he's, uh, the Minx has X uh, until end of turn target creature has base power and toughness XX and becomes a giant activate only as a sorcery so like you can on your next turn make the hamster into a 4-4 and you're attacking with a 3-3 and a 4-4 that's neat but I, I don't know enough of the D&D lore to like understand what this is referencing if memory serves me, Minsk was originally in Baldur's Gate, the video game. I think that's where he comes from. I know he was in those games. I don't know if that was the very his very first appearance, okay. but I get the impression it was. Uh, but he was a fan favorite just for being a bald guy with a funny purple thing on his face that carried around a very angry hamster. Okay. I, I I think he's not... I don't think he's a very interesting magic card. I think anyone who builds him will do so because they recognize the character, not because he's a good card. Uh, old Gnawbone, though, by the way, that card is legit. Like, that card's very cool. And I, I agree completely. Like, oh, I already had to attack. I had to play the 7-mana dragon and attack and do damage. And then I'm going to get some treasure tokens. And it feels like well, I went through all this work. I don't care. This People are going to read this card and it's going to sound good. And they're going to want to put it in their decks. And importantly, not only is it going to be solid in dragon decks where you can get it into play cheaper. You can cheat it into play. You know, those types of effects. Uh, it's going to be good. There's going to be lots of decks that play green who are going to be interested in this effect. Like getting this down early. If you were able to get this down and then attack for you know a handful of damage, you suddenly get to spawn more treasure tokens to either keep your turn rolling or what have you the next turn. Um, I I, th- I just think it's going to be. I think this is going to be solid. I think old Knobbone is going to be real good. And this is the type of card that I, I would be interested. This is the the green mythic that if you're going to look for bricks of, uh, this is probably it. I think you'll have a chance to get a, a lot of bricks uh, of this particular one. I think the the <laughs> blue one is the blue dragon is much more relevant for standard. Uh, Imrith, Imrith, Desert Doom, Imrith. Okay, yeah. Uh, so it's three blue blue for a five five flying, which is already like really great rate. It has ward four as long as it's untapped. So, like they would need a 
presumably if you're playing this even on worst on a draw, they've got to have a two mana spell and then pay the extra four mana to kill it through the ward. And then uh, on your turn, when you go to attack with it, you've got some mana up for a counter spell or whatever. Uh, when it deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. And then, if you have less than three cards in hand, draw cards equal to the dis difference. So you might, like, if you have no cards in hand when it hits, you're going to get up to three. If you have one, you're going to get up to three. Like, it's it's niche to, to get up there, but just, like, it's got the the um, Ophidian ability where when it hits, you draw, and now you can protect your giant dragon. Like, this is really well, uh, really aggressively costed, and I think this might end up being something that is really relevant in Standard going forward. It's So, Imrith, I think, is uh, a probably not relevant for EDH for the most part. Um, I think in Standard, he could very well be a, quite a potent card. My biggest concern is you would probably not play four of this. Right. Like some dragons, you would play four. Imrith, you know, if, if he's like kind of the top end of a control deck, you probably don't play four, um, which kind of put it to hamper on him in that regard. But I, I do think he seems like a, a pretty useful card. But I, I remember there was that like seven mana blue creature, blue mythic from a couple, I don't know how many sets ago now. And it was like, it couldn't be countered, and you could discard three cards to return it to your hand. Oh, yeah. It was a real <laughs> control finisher. And, like, it saw play, but people only played one or two, so the price was never more than a couple bucks. Um, looking through some more of the mythics, the Book of Exalted Deeds is going to be a card that, you know, just goes right in, in into every life gain deck. You know, if you gained three more life this turn, make a 3-3 three, three white angel with flying. Just like your end step, not every oh, turn. Right. That's there's a severe distinction there because those life gain decks can gain three on every turn, but they only get the angel on their turn. And if you really want to, you can turn an angel into uh, uh, what's its platinum angel. You where you can't you can't lose the game, and your opponents can't win the game. Only do that as a sorcery. I don't think any deck would actually do that, but you never know. It's nice to Wait. have that. If your opponent like triggers something that would cause him to win the game in response, it's only as well, a not in response, but like, well, so like if you see it coming, you can kind of do it to prevent them from pulling it off. Um, yeah, I mean, like I'm not in love with this. If I could get them at you know eighty cents or a dollar or something, I might buy a pile because it might end up being pretty popular. The I, I'm not going to get into all of them, uh, but the class cards are all very interesting. We've already seen some cool stuff come out of these. The Bard class sets up some of the, I saw some decks, um, a deck floating around where it was just a, nothing but a pile of legendary creatures that cost green and or red and just attempted to play its entire hand essentially immediately. So that's kind of nifty. Uh, notice um, that it makes uh, Ren and Six free. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 So like that could be pretty legitimate. That one's a, well, that one's one of the rare ones. Um, the Druid class actually is, it's an uncommon, but whenever you landfall you gain a life and then if you power up you get an additional land drop every turn like that's gonna go in a ton of decks so um i think across the board the the, the class cards are all very interesting um for uh, some of them competitive some of them in edh uh i saw a lot of people talking about treasure vault uh the artifact land where you uh tap for a colorless or xx tap sacrifice the treasure vault to make X treasures. Like, there were yeah. more than a few pros who were like, do you understand how busted this is? 
And I freely admit I am in the group of people who only sort of understands how busted it is. But I, I can see how, like, you're taking uh, mana that you did have and now you're recycling it into more, into other usable mana is a great way to turn colorless into colored mana, for instance. This uh, Treasured Vault is, I, I, you know, I saw this and I wasn't blown away by it. Uh, but I know other people have said it seems ludicrous, so I this is an interesting card. I mean, if you look at this as just an artifact land that comes into play untapped, so like it's just it's it's solid there. Just it's an artifact, it's a land, it's untapped, and then it has an additional upside, right? I think you look at it like that, you can kind of get where it comes from. Um, but I I. I admit that I am in the same boat as you. I don't quite see this as being as busted as people think it is, but I, I'm, I could be way wrong with this. Uh, what I'm curious about is um, how many artifact lands are now legal in modern? Oh, it just went up a lot. <laughs> um, so we, we have the Modern Horizons ones, which all come into play tapped. Uh and they're indestructible, which is neat. Um, we have Darkseer Citadel, that's still legal. Um, we have the Power Depot, which we saw in the modular deck. We have uh, the Treasure Vault now, which comes into play untapped. So that's three artifact lands that come into play untapped. You have Darkseer Citadel, Power Depot. Oh no, Power Depot comes into play tapped as well. So only two untapped come into play artifact lands and they are gambling real hard that having disciple of the vault disciple of the vault still be banned is good enough to keep like everyone from having to do arc brown ravager math which is the most annoying kind of math <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean so far it hasn't busted modern i i don't i don't see treasure vault changing the math on that but maybe eventually I mean, eventually you get to, like, we've got to be already close to the point where you can just have a deck that's all artifact lands. So that that might not be the we're the, the critical mass that's the problem. We're there. We have artifact lands for every color pair. Yeah. So the, well, the yeah. problem is they come into play tapped. Right. I, I mean, like, we're approaching a point where you can play a good deck <laughs> with every land as an artifact land. But the question is, is, is that what was necessary? And so far it seems like no like it, it made them playable not busted there might be another component missing um a sererak lord of undeath the mythic black creature uh for the most part not terribly thrilling uh but the relevant part here is that he's three mana and when you cast him if you haven't um, completed Tomb of Annihilation, you return him to your hand and you venture. Uh, but what's interesting here is with Aluren, which makes three mana creatures free, you just get infinite venture triggers as long as you don't go into Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, and let me tell you, the other two are totally fine to do infinitely. Um, so Aluren's already over $100. I don't know where this is really going to matter. You're not going to build this guy as a commander, most likely, so you'd have to find a place to put him and Aluren in the deck, but, you know, Aluren's price isn't going to go down, I'll tell you that much. You know, um, it's also a fun thing to do with... Um, I saw some people talking about um, the enchantment from Innistrad, whose name escapes me, where one, a black, all your creatures are two less, and... Heartless yeah, Summoning. Heartless Summoning. 
works really well here. It makes this just one black mana, and you still get a 4-4 uh, four, four instead of a 5-5. Five, five. Yeah, which you definitely don't care about. I mean, one black mana summoning or venture triggers are pretty good. That is pretty good. That's, uh, that's certainly competitive. Um, Heartless summoning, still 70 vendors with near mint copies. Um, we got this Grandmaster of Flowers, Bahamut, which is a big dragon, showed up as a white planeswalker. He does not seem too exciting. No, it does not, because it's too white-white for a three-mana Planeswalker, and you can plus it to give target creature without first strike, double strike, or vigilance. Can't attack or block until your next turn, so you kind of like say, no, you can't attack, you normalish creature. And you can plus it to search for a white one-drop named Monk of the Open Hand and put that into your hand. Uh, but if it gets to seven counters... Uh, it's now a 7-7 seven, seven dragon god with flying and indestructible. Yeah. Which is which is eh. neat, but like this isn't going to set standard on fire. No. Um, Mordekainen, on the other hand, is definitely pretty legit looking. I mean, at 6, he's a, he's a bigger boy, but his plus 2 for draw 2 and then put a card on the bottom of your library is a very good draw spell. Uh, and his minus two is you create a creature token with power and toughness twice the number of cards in your hand. I mean, realistically, you're going to have, if you have four cards in your hand after you cast this card, that token is an 80. <laughs> so uh, it is not hard for that token to be a very legitimate creature pretty much immediately. Um, and if you're in a position where you don't have to create the token, you've got some very good card velocity on this. I, I don't know. This is going to be kind of meta-dependent, but that's a pretty potent top end. That is. I, w I would give you that. Um, it's always neat to have exchange hand and library stuff. Um, the Vecna stuff I was talking about with uh, somebody yesterday. Um, the Eye of Vecna and the Hand of Vecna got, spoiled, got revealed, and they are uh, mediocre. You know, the Eye of Vecna is two mana. When it comes into play, you draw a card and lose two life like a really bad maze mind tome or a really bad whatever you want to call it and your upkeep you can pay two colorless if you do draw a card and lose two life all over again like to to get an eight eight zombie god with these different effects is uh like you are not assembling voltron here you're assembling one of the the knockoffs yeah, the, I mean, the hardest part about this is that you have to play four, you know, three to four copies of all these cards, but like none of them, they're all legendary and none of them are that thrilling, right? They're, you know, Eye of Vecna is, is playable. Um, Hand of Vecna, I think, is harder to work with for the most part. Um, and the book, I think I'd have to scroll all the way down to find it, but I don't remember being blown away by that. So it's it's for me, this is more, I think, more of a flavor thing than a good, intentionally powerful set of cards. It's more flavor than power. Yeah, well, the, you can say that about the whole damn set. That's pretty true. Uh, the red dragon uh, we got, where if you manage to pump its power up to twenty, it's a inferno of the star mount. Uh, four red, red legendary dragon can't be countered for some reason um but it's a six six uh flying in haste and you pay a red it fire breathes and when you get it up to 20 it deals 20 damage to any target fun fact if you pump it to 20 
and then do something else to minus its power and then increase its power again, you can trigger the ability again. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Um, yeah, I mean, six mana for a six, six flying haste can't be countered. It's not the worst. I mean, that's a very potent top end for a, sort of like a green red or mono red aggressive ish deck, slightly more mid range aggressive deck. I mean, it doesn't have protection, yeah. you know, no hexproof for anything, but like six mana flying haste that you can't counter, like you have to have an instant speed removal spell that can deal with a six toughness creature. I don't know quite what the suite of spells is going to look like in standard come rotation, but um, that's not insignificant, and there have been plenty of times in the past where there was room for a dragon, you know, Thundermaw Hellkite, uh, Storm Breath Dragon, these types of creatures. Storm can Breath be Dragon, I forgot about. Yeah. So it's been, a, I think it's been a little hot minute since we've seen a, a dragon like that matter, but uh, he might. It's hard to say for sure, but not going to matter in any other formats, unfortunately. Most likely. Yep, uh, just a couple more that had caught my eye, and that, that this will be it. Um, today we got the, the last dregs of the set. Uh, the Loyal Warhound is probably the best um, Knight of the White Orchid card we've gotten, because it's just one in a white for 3-1 Vigilance when it comes into play. If somebody has more lands than you, search for a basic planes, put into play tapped. Like, it's real straightforward, and it works well in the, the low-curve decks where you're you know, probably going to have less lands than your opponent. So uh, I'm I'm for that, and this is definitely a card that you'd be playing four of. It's going to have potential in bricks. Um, and if you want to do a, a spec based on somebody might be uh, going crazy, um, Asmodeus the Archfiend has this kind of um, pseudo-necropotence thing going on. It's four black-black for a 6-6 six, six Devil God, if you would draw a card, instead exile the top card of your library face down. And it has triple black, draw seven cards. So you don't draw those cards, you put them in exile. And then for another black mana, you return all the cards exiled with Asmodeus to the rotor's hand, and you lose that much life. So you will pay a bunch of life to get these into your hand. But, here's the fun part, Necrotic Ooze is a card. And it's a card begging to be abused here. Because Necrotic Ooze in play with Asmodeus in the graveyard just says, pay three black, draw seven cards. Booyah. Mm, that is true. <laughs> um, so for Loyal Warhound, um, obviously the spiritual successor to Knight of the White Orchid, um, that's in nearly 20,000 EDH Rec decks. Quite potent there. Loyal Warhound is a little worse because it's only basic planes. It's not any planes. It definitely matters. Um, there's also the fact that they've been trying to improve white's card quality pretty consistently here. So I don't know if there's room for this effect in white decks and EDH as much as there might've been in years past. Um, but worth keeping an eye on, I suppose, uh, as Modius is definitely interesting. I mean, this is obviously supposed to be a pseudo necropotence and, you know, essentially it's, it's not Necropotence, because Necro, you just you just pay a life and draw a card, right? If well, I'm remembering correctly. The original Necropotence was you're going to draw that card at the end of turn. Uh, right. It's Yagmas Bargain. That's what I'm thinking right. of. Yagmas Bargain was just six mana, uh, pay a life, draw a card. Like, just fire it off. So this is more work, because it's six mana... Uh, you don't pay them on and draw a card. You still have to draw the cards, and then you pay the life afterwards. Is it still going to be good enough somewhere? I don't know. Is it better than Bolus Citadel? Uh, I don't know. 
and it's rare. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not high high on that card. I'm not either, but uh, you're going to see somebody do something degenerate with uh, Necroticus, and I'm for that. I'm always for Necroticus yeah. combos. Yeah, no, that that someone will play that, and that'll be solid. the The other white card here just it's not really going to matter, but the Priest of Ancient Lore. The three mana two one uh, when it enters the battlefield you gain a life and draw a card. White definitely wants that effect, and I see that showing up in EDH decks a lot. I, I suspect we will see that show up in decks a well, lot. Well, we got the just um, the free uh, blink effect at the end of turn enchantment, uh, whose name escapes yeah. me. So you know if you're going to build the deck full of blink, uh, this would be a great one to blink because this one you can you know ephemerate until your fingers fall off because you're gaining life. Yeah, yeah, that is uh, that'll fill a lot of holes, I think. But okay, let's get this show wrapped up. Where can our listeners find you, Cliff? Uh, you can find me uh, online at Word of Commander on Twitter, as well as my Friday articles for MTGPrice.com. And I'm Travis Allen. I am on Twitter at WizardBumpin B U M P I N. I would like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business like Clifford here, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That's it for tonight, Travis. Uh, Really enjoyed talking. Uh, James is back next week, right? Uh, You tell me. (laughs) You were the last person to talk to him. (laughs) Was I? All right. I'm pretty sure he's back. But if he's not, then, you know, we get to come back for round three, the one that really matters. All right. Well, either way, Cliff, I'm so glad that you got a chance to come join me here the last two weeks. And uh, it was good having you on. It's always a pleasure to be here, Travis. All right. Well, thank you, everyone else. Uh, That wraps up episode 279. And we will see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.